the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. All right. Good afternoon, Central Arkansas. You are listening to The Dave Ellswick Show on 101.1 FM, The Answer. I am David Ray, filling in today for Dave Ellswick, who's on a much-needed and well-deserved vacation. Um, I have known Dave Ellswick for quite a long time, and he's a good friend of mine. I met Dave through various roles in politics, dating back to my days as communications director for the Republican Party of Arkansas and uh, the same role for Senator Tom Cotton's campaign in 2014 against former Senator Mark Pryor. And I can tell you, it does not get old saying former senator in front of the name Mark Pryor. I can assure you of that. And uh, currently, I'm the lieutenant governor's chief of staff, Tim Griffin's chief of staff uh, at the state capitol. So as a quick disclaimer, I'll let everybody know I'm taking time off today to be with you here on the radio in case anyone at home is wondering why a state employee is playing politics on the radio. That's why. Uh, so let's go ahead and jump in. with um, we are, We've got several great guests lined up for today to discuss a lot of important and interesting topics and uh, our first guest this afternoon is the state treasurer for the state of Arkansas, Mr. Dennis Milligan. Dennis is in studio with us today. Thanks for joining us. Hey, David. Good to be here. O- only question I've got, uh, should I address you as chief or David? Since, I mean, you're not technically on state time, so I just call you David, right? I, I can assure you that whatever you call me, I've been called much worse. So, <laughs> All right. I just want to get the technical aspect. Done. Absolutely. Great to be here with you and certainly, uh, David, to talk about a, a program near and dear to my heart, the Arkansas 529. Yeah. So the reason, uh, Dennis, that we're Mr. State Treasurer, that we're having you on today is because it's a fact of life. College is expensive and it's getting more expensive all the time. Everybody knows that. Um, assuming that you're financially able, you should be saving for your kid's college. But a lot of people don't really know where to start. And your office oversees the Arkansas 529 program, so I want to talk about that for a little bit. Tell us a little bit about it. Well, uh, I guess the first question would be, what is an Arkansas 529 account, uh, and why should I save or open up one uh, for my child? And obviously you just mentioned it's for our children's uh, future education. Uh, one of the, the the catches of this program is that a married couple, David, can save up to $10,000 off their state uh, adjusted gross income, 5000 for individuals. So as we were mentioning before we got on the air, why give the money to big government when we can give it to our children for our education? And obviously the cost of education is tremendous. Yeah, there, well, there's no doubt about that. I was looking on the web a little bit earlier um, you know, college data has the website college data has average cost for in-state public tuition or for college rather, not just tuition, but all expenses. And the average around the country is $25,290 a year. And so I looked at the University of Arkansas website and they estimate their tuition plus fees, books, room and board is 25500 a year. So you're looking at, you know, four years of in-state public school, university, you're looking at 
over $100,000 in most cases. Well, again, uh, mentioning uh, what we were talking about uh, uh, before we got on the air, there are two things, unfortunately, that are occurring right now. I guess one of them could be, but uh, college enrollment in Arkansas overall is down. There's two reasons for it. We do have a robust economy, so a lot of the high school graduates are going on into uh, the workforce uh, and many of them have plans to go to school later, but uh, the uh, it's just too uh, – uh, for them, I guess it's too advantageous for them not to uh, take the job. But the uh, the other thing is uh, the fact that, that you just mentioned cost. Many students uh, are just fearful of, 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 of finishing out school with $150,000 uh, debt. Right, and, and – the, the great thing about Arkansas – well, one of the great things about Arkansas 529, you mentioned the tax benefits, which are great. It, and, and let's talk about that for just a second before we move on. Yeah. The tax benefits, yes, you get to deduct your uh, – whatever you contribute from your state income taxes, but there's another tax benefit in the growth, right? Well, I mean, uh, obviously, if you start investing today, the longer you invest, the better it's going to be. Uh, but if a married couple puts in $9,000 a year – uh, then they're going to get to take that off their adjusted uh, uh, state uh, gross uh, uh, t- state tax income. So adjusted gross income. So my point being again, why give it to the st- to the state of Arkansas when we can give it to our children? Be mindful; it doesn't have to just be your children. I, I have three grandchildren. I have three separate accounts. My wife and I are enjoying those tax deductions. And again, as a married couple, we can contribute. Now, this is total for the three. We can contribute up to $10,000 a year and help our kids uh, when they're going to need it the most. Yeah, absolutely. And I can tell you, as the parent of a one-year-old, you know, I I have received numerous gifts um, from friends and relatives and and so forth. And, you, you know, after you get the, you know, 14th copy of the Dr. Seuss book, you kind of wish people would, like, instead sent you checks for your children's education. Um, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, obviously there's a lot of – people have a lot of conflicting thoughts about college these days and whether it's worth it. Um, But Arkansas 529s don't have to be used simply for – for your education, do they? No. Uh, in fact, I'm a technical guy myself, non-traditional college, and what we're seeing every day, even as I visit with a governor or a lieutenant governor or, or state leaders, is the fact that you know it's hard enough to get companies to consider Arkansas, David, but if we don't have the one thing that is most important, and that's an educated workforce, they're going to fly right on by us. So uh, plumbers, electricians. I mean, I have a joke. I'm a builder developer in my home county of Saline, and, 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 and it's a joke, but one of the things is a plumber gave me a bill the other day, and I said, my doctor doesn't charge this much. And he said, well, that's what I used to do. I mean, uh, that's my point. We're, as you mentioned, we're not all cut out to be the same, and we do need qualified technical people that want to make a career in one of those trades. That's right. And so the website for the Arkansas 529 program is arkansas529.org. And you have a chart on your website that I think is really interesting. It shows average full-time worker salary by educational attainment. And the fact of the matter, I mean, look, I I get it. There is a tendency among some people to say, look, colleges are increasingly liberal. They're – indoctrinating kids to uh, especially in some some disciplines uh, so there is some backlash against that there are people who leave college with massive amounts of student debt and it makes people wonder is college worth it the data 
is really indisputable overall. The more educational attainment you have, the more average salary that you earn over the course of your lifetime. Now, there's there's a couple of caveats to that, first of which is you can't just accrue massive amounts of debt and expect the ROI to be great. Second is you have to major in something that's going to give you uh, – that, that actually has some applicable uh, application in the marketplace. Well, basket weaving's great, but it hadn't really helped me in the time that I was going to traditional college. Uh, I mean, it's just not been a big call for me to do any basket weaving. Uh, and so – but a plumber, uh, a uh, computer, obviously computer-related industry is very high. But, uh, again, uh, production – uh, construction. There's so many different things that are that are out there. Uh, and, and look, uh, people say, "Well, what if I invested and my child turns 18 and I've got forty five thousand dollars?" And they tell me they're not going to school. Hey, they don't. Ha- there's no problem. They can give that money to another child. They can designate it toward two other children. Uh, they can actually pull that investment out. Now you are penalized ten percent, not on the basis, but on the interest we've earned. There's nine different investment opportunities, so it's not one size fits all. It's the most complete, easy, and you're never going to out-debate me on this program because if education is the key word that we all use, remember, David, there's two good times to plant a tree, and those are 30 years ago and today, and we've got to stop this cycle. We've got to compete. We've got to give our Arkansas kids an opportunity to stay in Arkansas if they want to stay here. That's right. That's right. Uh, Very good thoughts there. Um, So we're going to go to a commercial break here in just a second. When we get back, um, Treasurer Milligan, uh, we're going to talk about how folks go about setting up a 529 account and some of the other issues related to that. So we're going to go ahead to a commercial break. Uh, This is David Ray filling in for Dave Ellswick on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right. Welcome back, Central Arkansas. You're listening to the Dave Ellswick Show on 101.1 FM, The Answer. I'm David Ray. Filling in for the vacationing Dave Ellswick, and we're joined back in studio by the treasurer of the state of Arkansas, Dennis Milligan. Last uh, little bit, we've been talking about college savings and the Arkansas 529 program. Um, Mr. Treasurer, folks who want to join this program, folks who want to begin the process of saving for their kids' education, mm-hmm. how do they go about it? Well, number one, the easiest would go to Arkansas529.org takes about, I don't know, six minutes to fill out and get your account open, multiple accounts open for multiple children, uh, and uh, and get the process started. You know, one of the things, too, I uh, uh, want to bring up is, look, it can be a little intimidating when people start putting the pressures of savings for their kids. You can open up a 529 account for as little as $25, and you can contribute as little as $10 a month. And so it doesn't have to be when people say to me, Dennis, my budget is taxed to the limit. I can't do any. Do you pay state income tax? Yes, I do. Then you're then then you 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 can afford a five two nine program. That's right. And you make a great point. I mean, look, not everybody makes a ton of money. There's a lot of people living paycheck to paycheck sure. out of there. But like you said, you can open an account for it was starting at just twenty five dollars, and then you can you can contribute to it for just ten dollars a month if you want to, or you can just make you know one-time contributions it doesn't have to be recurring yeah remember these these monies can be used for room and board they can be used for tuition they can be used for books they can be used for computers so there's a uh, this is a big word that litany of uh, of of uses 
And even you did some math, didn't you, on a two-year college? Yeah, so we were just talking about this at the break. The average cost of a two-year college in Arkansas, a community college, is a little over $3,300 a year. So if someone were to just do the simple math on that from a you know, from from birth to age 18, if you just contributed $30 a month, $31 a month, I think was the number I came up with, um, to an Arkansas 529, I'm not even counting growth in this, in, in the investment. I'm just counting the, the principle of the contribution. Yes, the basis. From Yeah, from from birth to 18, you would have enough to pay for a two-year degree. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of good two-year degree fields. I mean, whether it's a dental hygienist, a web developer – paralegal, sonographer, whatever the case may be, welder. Yeah. You, were, you, had, you were telling me about how you had met with some with some welders uh, who were going into good-paying well, jobs. Well, I spoke at Casa Talk College down in southwest Arkansas in a technical college, and I was visiting with the chancellor, and he had 18 welders graduating. And by the way, a few of those welders were women, so don't discount the the, uh, the potential for our uh, or women to, uh, to to get these high-paying jobs. And I said, you know, I know a company in Little Rock that might be interested in talking to them about jobs. And he started laughing. I said, what's wrong? He said, Dennis, those people were spoken for six months ago. They're, they're leaving for their jobs right now. And uh, so, again, it just it makes me so proud to know that, uh, uh, that you know, welding, uh, uh, as you mentioned, uh, le- uh, being an electrician, all of those, those trades, uh, along with uh, the, the, the other potential careers that you just talked about. Yeah, and, you know, we hear so much uh, in the political sphere, um, just in, in general, we hear a ton about the massive student loan crisis in America. You know, I, Forbes says that Americans in 2018 owe a cumulative student loan debt of over $1.5 trillion, with a T, dollars. Mm-hmm. Now, you and I sitting here in this room today, we can't solve the student loan crisis, okay? But, but what I can do as a parent is try and alleviate that concern for my daughter, for my kids, uh, that's something that I can do on an individual basis. And so, yeah, it may be, a you know, thinking about the cost of four-year university at $100,000 or more price tag, might there, be, there may be some sticker shock associated with that, but that doesn't mean that you can't start chipping away at it. Okay, so actions speak louder than words, correct? Yes. Since I was elected as your treasurer, and uh, I want your listeners to get a hold of this number, if a halt – I think that's a good southern term. But when I started, uh, we had about $262 million, uh, under management. Uh, now, today, we're at about $830 million. Now, either uh, there's an old saying, too, I'd rather be lucky than good. But let me tell you why this growth has come because we have uh, informed the citizens of Arkansas about this program. We have educated them, David, on this program, and they're seeing the great advantages of this program. Again, actions speak louder than words. Yes, so uh, more people are taking advantage of the Arkansas 529 program. You should, too. The website is arkansas529.org. You can set up an account. It takes five, ten minutes to do so, and you can start the process of saving for your kids' education. Um, I want to ask you, before we go, about um, the recent changes that Congress has made and that the state legislature's made dealing with 529s. It's not just for college anymore, is that right? No, it's not. And uh, actually, uh, Arkansas got into line with with the federal government 
that five two nines are also able to be used for uh, K through twelve public or private schools. So you know, again, uh, mentally, I have it in my mind that I'm saving for my grandkids uh, for their college education. But uh, uh, if I choose, it can be used in those uh, uh, embodiments also, uh, and and that's a wonderful uh, that's a wonderful usage of uh, of that money. Should those uh, 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 mothers or fathers or grandparents decide to use it that way. Uh, the other thing that's occurred is for businesses, a tax deduction of up to $500 per employee uh, match into the 529 program. So isn't that wonderful that, it, you know, you can put in 500 and, and, and if an employer agrees to it, can put in 500 also and get that tax uh, break. Absolutely. Uh, those are Those are real substantive changes that will help real families. I mean, if you're, you know, say you're somebody that that um, you you know your your kid is stuck in a low performing school district and you want to give your your kid a different type of education, you, maybe you want to put them in a private school, sure. parochial school. You now have the flexibility to use these funds for that. Take advantage of the tax deduction. Well, and here's another point. Uh, again, want to make sure I'm good on time. But uh, even if someone has a banner year, they can actually pay uh, pay forward. Uh, on the uh, 529 and be able to because maybe the next year or the next year aren't going to be as good maybe they got a windfall so you can actually place that money ahead of the game if you will and continue to get those tax breaks so that's a wonderful part of it also yeah absolutely so um folks that want to set up an arkansas 529 account i have one for my daughter uh she's one a little over one year old i've been funding it since about the time we got her social security number you can go to arkansas529.org set up your account mm-hmm. it's super easy super simple you can invest it in uh, a lot of different ways ranging from very conservative to more aggressive depending on how much time you have to save mm-hmm. so go do that today uh, before we go, Mr. Treasurer, I know that um, the state investments, which you oversee, have been doing pretty well. Tell well, us a little bit about that. Well, again, for the sake of time, very, very pleased to, to, to tell Arkansans that we've had the highest rate of return in their interest. We did $77 million at the close of the last fiscal year. That's the most that's been done in the last 10 years. Again, we went from a very uh, laxed, uh, I guess, if you will, uh, or uh, uh to an active management program we put the right kind of people in place that know how to take care of arkansas's money and we've been very very pleased with this and again my pledge to arkansans was one every dollar i could earn in tax uh in interest should i say should be one less tax dollar they have to pay absolutely uh state treasurer dennis milligan taking care of the state's investments on your behalf and overseeing the arkansas 529 program Mr. Treasurer, thank you very much for joining us today. David, thanks for having me. All right. So um, just to get back to that, if you want to set up an Arkansas 529 account, go to the website, arkansas529.org, get started with the process of saving money. When we come back from the break here in just a minute, we're going to be joined by Brad Todd. He is a uh, veteran GOP ad maker um, for the firm On Message Inc. He is the co-author of a new book, called the great revolt about the populist uh uprising if you will in american politics that is changing the electorate and led to obviously the surprise election in 2016 of president donald j trump he's going to talk with us a little bit about that book 
Um, you won't want to miss that segment. Brad has um, a lot of really good insights um, on the political landscape. He's got his finger on the pulse of what is happening with the electorate in this country, and um, you will definitely want to stick around for that. <clears throat> Again, on the Arkansas 529 account, you can go to arkansas529.org. Everybody um, is going to um, eventually need to higher ed of some kind, whether it's a two-year college, four-year college, Votech, um, culinary school, you name it. So um, go ahead and get that done today, arkansas529.org. I am David Ray filling in today on the Dave Ellswick Show. You're listening to 101.1 FM, The Answer. And we're going to head out to a commercial break. When we come back, we'll be joined by Brad Todd talking about his new book. All right. Good afternoon, Central Arkansas. Welcome back to the Dave Ellswick Show on 101.1 FM, The Answer. I am David Ray filling in for Dave Ellswick, who's on a well-deserved vacation. We're glad you are back joining us. Uh, We're joined this half hour by Brad Todd. Brad is a uh, founding partner with On Message, Inc. He is a veteran GOP ad guru. Uh, Brad's candidate clients that he's worked for include six U.S. senators, three governors, and more than a couple dozen congressmen. Brad, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Glad to be on the ground today in Arkansas. Yes, glad to have you here. And I should mention that you're also the co-author of a new book called The Great Revolt, Inside the Populist Coalition, Reshaping American Politics. I can tell you I have read your book. Uh, I read it earlier this year when I was on vacation in Gulf Shores, Alabama. It's a great read. I highly recommend it. And um, so tell us a little bit about the book. What, what is The Great Revolt? Well, I wrote the book with Selena Zito, who's a fantastic syndicated columnist uh, and uh, for the New York Post and five dozen other papers around the country and the Washington Examiner. Um, it, it's our theory that uh, America is in a realignment a state of realignment that this was not a fluke we set out to write the book asking ourselves was this book uh, a one-off uh was it or was it something bigger and was it the beginning of something or is it in 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 the middle of something uh i I think that we've seen this coming for a while you know uh, political scientists all say that uh we're in the fifth party system in america but i really think that ended with obama's re-election and and uh you know democratic party uh, in the South, of course, was always dominant when it was about middle class economics and economic equality, uh, and had a populist streak to it. And that that that's not really a big part of Democratic messaging nationally anymore. Now it's all about multiculturalism uh, and social issues, uh, and, intersectional and, and, politics. Inter- that's right, well. yeah, yeah. It, identity politics. And so, as a result, um, that that change uh, left a whole group of voters up for grabs. Uh, and, and that you know, in the Trump campaign, Donald Trump capitalized on that group of voters uh, to to win states that Republicans hadn't won. You know, Republicans hadn't won Wisconsin since 1984 uh, in, until this year, and then counties all over the Upper Midwest, in particular, um, Democrats meanwhile did a whole lot better in some suburban counties than they'd done in 20 years. Okay, when that happens, when we see those double digit swings. Uh, there is a realignment in, uh, taking place when you see that, especially if it's repeated in the next couple of elections, which it very well could be. Yeah, and your book sort of tells the story of people from places like northeast Ohio, like coal country in Pennsylvania, like rural Wisconsin. Um, you know, the way that – and I, knowing you and having – I don't know Selena, your co-author, but I've read a lot of her work, having read enough of her work – 
as I read the book, I can almost delineate which parts you wrote and which parts <laughs> Selena wrote. But as you go, that through, was not the idea. It was but, supposed to be a one voice well, book. <laughs> it, but it, it fits together really nicely because as you go through the book, each chapter talks about a different type of populist Trump voter, right? And then it's backed up with all these sort of many profiles that selena met of people on the road right in these battleground states and you go through and talk about all these kind of archetype voter profiles right. what are some of those and sure what do they look like? uh and we were right we did the the interviews with voters were conducted in 10 counties uh all in the five upper midwest states that switch you know only six states switch from obama to trump uh, Florida plus five states in the Great Lakes region. We went to those Great Lakes states, and we picked two counties in each of those states, so ten counties total, uh, that had also switched. So the, the voters we interview are not all switchers themselves, but they come from places that switched. And the, the seven – we call them the seven interesting archetypes of Trump voters. It doesn't mean every Trump voter is in, is in one of those seven archetypes, but we thought they were most, most interesting. Uh, four of those are, are, are Republican archetypes that you would have thought might have defected. You know, Hillary's campaign was really aimed at Republicans, uh, women and Republicans. Those are, those are the two, two groups because she'd seen the Republican primary process had been very divisive. There, are, you know, there were never Trump Republicans. There were Jeb Bush backers who were not comfortable with Donald Trump as the nominee. So her whole goal in the campaign was, I'm going to peel off a slice of the Republican base. So we said, okay, if her campaign is aimed entirely at this group of people and it didn't work, well, it's relevant. We need to go find out why that didn't work because campaigns are designed to work, right? Smart people spend a lot of money uh, on, a, on a campaign. If it doesn't work, that's noteworthy. The other groups, three groups, were people who – came to the party for Donald Trump, came to the Republican coalition for Donald Trump. Uh, it's those three groups, we call one of them red-blooded and blue-collared, right? That's a group that most people would recognize as a sort of a, a Trump voter celebrated in the media. Another group, we call them Peroistas. You know, Ross Perot, as a lot of your listeners will remember from 1992 and 1996, energized a lot of voters who'd been out of the American political process, hadn't voted in years, maybe never even bothered to register. They show up and register for Ross Perot because he was something different than the two parties. Trump had the same effect. You know, a lot of voters thought Donald Trump's not a Democrat and he's not really a Republican. In fact, he didn't like Republicans. And I have to confess that I missed that in the primary process. You know, when Trump would say, oh, I might run third party or I'm not going to sign this loyalty pledge or I'm going to skip these two debates. I mean, skip two debates in the primary process. Uh, I thought he was uh, going to make it harder to unite his coalition. But in the end, I think that was brand building. I think these what we call peroistas, these shock troops of American politics who come in and out of the electorate, uh, I think they were seeing him and going, well, you know, he's not really much of a Republican. That's good. I like that. Uh, and so the third group we, we had there, we call them rough rebounders. Uh, those are people who have had some kind of trauma in their life. Maybe they lost a job. Maybe they went bankrupt. Uh, maybe they had a bad illness and they came back from it. Uh, and they've thought at times the system was stacked against them, and they looked at Donald Trump and they said, "Man, everybody's out to get that guy." I saw some commonality, you know. And I know a lot of people that that kind of fit into that archetype. You know, people who um, are really just uh, distrustful of the elites, think that they have too much influence. You know, whether it's the corporate elites, you know, all, all the stuff with Nike that we've right. seen. You know, whether it's um, you know, Hollywood trying to ram their values down people's throats, What you know, whatever the case may be, big Hollywood, big corporate, big government, right. people are generally, you know, distrustful of that kind of thing. 
Well, the book is backed up with a survey. It's not just the interviews in those 10 counties. It's also backed up with a survey of Trump voters in the Great Lakes states and, and a ton of electoral and census data. Uh, in fact, I tell people if you buy the book uh, in the bookstores, then I advise you to read the appendix first, you know, where all the data is because ref- we refer to that data uh, throughout the book. Uh, and and certainly there is a schism going on uh, in, 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 the, in, the, in America between the C-suite uh, and the customer base. Uh, and uh, Trump voters, by very large numbers, we ask them, do you trust Trump to do the right thing, Republicans to do the right thing, Democrats to do the right thing, big business to do the right – business leaders to do the right thing, or the media to do the right thing? Well, Trump wins that in a runaway against corporations and against the Republican Party, because that's new. 25 years ago, you wouldn't have seen a single person be more trusted uh, than, than, than in the Republican side of things than, than These corporations yes, yeah. or, or the party itself. Uh, so that is a new phenomenon. We also asked people in the, the Trump voters in the Midwest, we said, do you think that tr- corporations don't care if their decisions hurt average people? Okay, that number is like 80-20 among, among Trump voters. That is, that's a pretty big watershed moment in America's capitalist party. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I, I'll I'll be the first to tell you. You know, I'm guilty of this. I totally missed this. Um, you know, I voted for Marco but Rubio. The two of us the were the only ones that missed it, though, David. Everybody else in America was. <laughs> well, right that's on. what I. You know, um, was there anybody that did call it right? I well, mean, it seems like the my co-author called it right. She traveled in July, uh, and again, I encourage you, Selena Zito. If you haven't read her stuff, you ought to Google her online, follow her on social media to get her get her get her columns every week. She traveled the country in July of 2016 on the old Lincoln Highway. You know, before we had interstates, we had these numbered highways. And before we had numbered highways, we had named highways. And one of the originals was the Lincoln Highway. And she traveled from Pennsylvania out to Wyoming. Uh, she got to the end of her trip for the New York Post with a photographer. And she called me and she said, he's going to win. And I said, well, I guess that was, the trip was probably later in the summer. But she, and I said, what are you talking about? She's like, oh, yeah, he's going to win. I've just, I've, I've, I've changed my view of this. He's going to win. Um, and in July, she'd identified counties in Pennsylvania that he, she thought could flip the state if Trump had carried them. And, you know, we hadn't carried Pennsylvania since Reagan, yeah. George W. Bush. I mean, it's, it's At least. Crazy. I mean, it was always kind of yeah. fool, fool's fool, gold. Right. It was the, the mirage. Yeah. Yes. Yes. George W. Bush didn't care. Tried twice, um, but, but didn't. So um, she she called it right. And uh, Anderson Cooper, I think, called her, or Jake Tapper called her the only reporter that got Trump, called Trump's election right. So, no, But not many, not many people did. Wow. It's a great book. It's called The Great Revolt. Inside the Populist Coalition, Reshaping American Politics, we're talking to one of the co-authors, Brad Todd, veteran GOP ad maker. We're going to take a commercial break. When we get back, we're going to talk some more about the book. We're going to talk about the populist trends in American politics and uh, get Brad's take on some of the current issues in the news. You're listening to The Dave Ellswick Show. I'm David Ray. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back, Central Arkansas. You're listening to The Dave Ellswick Show on 101.1 FM, The Answer. This is David Ray filling in for The Dave Ellswick Show. And we're back in studio with Brad Todd. He's the co-author of a new book, The Great Revolt, Inside the Populist Coalition, Reshaping American Politics. Brad, I want to pick back up with the discussion uh, about populism. Okay. Sure. What, what is populism? You know, uh, I, I do a lot of speaking around the country in conjunction with the book, uh, David, and that's that, that's one of the top two questions I get is, is, is tell me what you mean by this populism. Uh, I, populism is a healthy skepticism of all things big. Uh, and 
uh, uh, you know, in, in past years and in, in decades in America, populism was mostly made manifest of skepticism of big business, right? We think you think of, of of the Gilded Age and the populist movement that arose out of that, and Williams Jennings Bryan rose out of the sort of the agricultural populism, who were you know felt like the big banks were. We're controlling Huey farmers, Long. right? Huey Long in Louisiana, right? A chicken in every pot, populism, if you will, uh, and that, however, was when the only larger than life institution in American society was big business. Uh, today, government's gotten so large that you can't really be a populist if you're not also skeptical of big government because big government is, is, is every bit as oppressive uh, in our society and, and controls every bit as much as big business does. And, and I think that we're seeing a new thing emerge, which is the skepticism of big media and big tech. Uh, all of us carry a supercomputer in our pocket, a smartphone, and it's enabled us to do uh, many new things and, and, and buy anything we want in the world and have it delivered to our house in four days from the palm of our hand. But it also uh, has put us at the whim of Google and Facebook and Amazon. Those companies know a whole lot more about us than we probably want them to know about us. And we don't know who they're selling it to, who they're sharing it with, what they're using it for to try to, set, to actively sell us or keep from us uh, in terms of other opinions and information. So I think that, that the populist movement as it's being constructed today is – a sort of a rounded skepticism of big business, big media, big government, and big tech. And and I think that's why populism uh, in many ways is struggling to keep its foothold in the Democratic Party, although certainly you saw a great bit of populism in Bernie Sanders' campaign. Uh, but Bernie's populism is one-legged populism. You know, he's not skeptical of the big Hollywood, and he's not skeptical of big government at all. In fact, his remedy for his skepticism of big business is more big government. Uh, he would just merely replace the monopoly of business with the monopoly of government. Yeah, that's a really good, tight, concise definition, I think. And and you see this when you look through these institutions that have gotten too big for their britches, how Trump was able to capitalize on that. You know, it, all of the – every Republican uh, to some extent in modern times has had success – hitting back at the media because they have become right. so biased That's right. against conservative values and conservative candidates. But Trump was Trump just took it to the next level. I mean, I remember back in, um, I guess it was 2012 during the primary, Newt Gingrich sort of caught on fire for a moment going after the press in the debate. Uh, and look, I believe in a, a healthy, strong, free press. I know you started out as a, as a journalist person, but uh, it, it's become undeniable. I'm a recovering journalist. Uh, reco- That's yeah. a good way to put it. And <laughs> But it's become undeniable that the press is is deeply slanted at the, at the national level especially i think at the state level it's still relatively healthy well, in most places well i think slanted is an interesting term and certainly some of it is some of it is just flat out there's just not enough ideological diversity, diversity. you yeah. know you you know and i think that that's how you saw the rise of fox news and and talk radio is a lot of conservatives looked at the mainstream media and said you know what there's nobody there that looks like me thinks like me talks like me you know, has my view of the world, does the things I do outside of my life. Uh, and, and, and therefore, some of it's just blind spots. You know, you're just going to flat out see the New York Times and the Washington Post have some blind spots because the people who work at the New York Times and the Washington Post all come from very similar backgrounds. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Totally right. And, you know, in the case of, of big Hollywood, you know, the cultural centers of the country, you know, in Los Angeles and whatever – Trump was able to to turn that around and take advantage of people who I you know I feel like a, a good section of the country is really just fed up with being moralized and virtue signaled to death and lectured to and uh, you know Trump was the one 
well, you know, for lack of a better word, with the onions to tell him he doesn't really care what they think. Right. Correct. I think the fact that he was willing to risk scorn from the media and and from Hollywood types made him uh, a champion to people who doubted whether he was a conservative or not. Uh, and, you know, the second question I get when I give speeches is how do evangelicals spend so much time, uh, put so much faith in Trump when he's, you know, three-time divorced Playmate Chase, Adulterer. And Howard Stern guest, you know, how is it possible? Extremely vulgar, vulgar and crass, right, exactly. Uh, and then when he talks about religion, it's always uh, a little awkward. Two Corinthians. Yeah, two Corinthians. <laughs> the little and, wafer. Yeah, the, the little, little cracker. Cup. I'm going to go get my cracker. It says he never asked for forgiveness of anyone. What kind of a key tenet of religion, you know? And so sure. uh, how is it possible that evangelicals gave him 88, 87% of their support in the general election? And the answer is, in my opinion, is they hired him. You know he's a mercenary in in many ways. They hired him to go stand up to the bad guys, uh, and, and they thought they found the meanest, toughest New Yorker they could get uh, to to sort of serve as their as a protector, if you will, uh, against against sort of creeping secularism. Yeah, I think a lot of that is what your book is about in the interviews that you talk to people. I want to ask you, uh, kind of on the same on the same vein. I mean, is all of this populism a good thing? Because on the one hand. You know, I think in some ways it's it's been good, you know, for the, for the broader uh, for, for my for the entirety of my adult life. Uh, the elites in both parties have ignored the immigration crisis facing our country. They both have thought that that massive waves of illegal immigration is just not all that bad. And Trump has finally gotten serious about it. But in other ways, you know, um, you know, whether it's tariffs, um, you know, the, the massive tax increases that come with tariffs or whether it's a refusal to fix our our social safety net and modernize programs like social security and medicare uh, i think i think it's i think it's a bad thing what i mean how do it was a new world uh if you're a republican and seek republican electoral victories i think at the national level um because uh the you know republicans now sit at the apex of political power uh if you take between the 2014 and 2016 elections together uh, it, but either one of after one of those two elections, Republicans would have been at their high water market, state legislatures, governors, attorneys general, U.S. senators and House members. We literally are at the at the top of Republican electoral success. How do you get to the top? Well, it's because you had to add new people. You added, we added new people on the Republican side. And I say that as a Republican strategist. The people we added aren't uniformly conservative. That's they right. couldn't be right because when we if we were only the unif- you know uniformly conservative voters we would have been a distinct minority still we, so, it would be the the national review subscriber that, list that's right that's right so you added people who might be cultural conservatives but are not necessarily economic conservatives and then and that has real ramifications for the ability to reform entitlements uh, you know being a straight laissez faire free trade party that's probably not in the cards anymore uh, but. In my view, that coincided with the post-war era. It's more of a coalition. That's effort. right. It's very much a coalition, and that's that's true around the world. By the way, governments around the world are always coalition governments. It's, in our country, we only have two parties, and so sometimes you can feel like it's not a coalition, but really it is. Uh, there's always a tension underlying uh, in either governing coalition. Whoever's in charge, you can get they have a right. minority. Modern conservatism's already always been a three-legged stool with social, fiscal, and foreign policy conservatives. That's right. Now it's just getting a little more complicated it's a five-legged stool perhaps yeah yeah so let me ask you you know when you think about people in american history who have been populist okay andrew jackson william jennings bryant huey long you know uh george wallace um you know harry truman yes um pat buchanan ross perot right okay not a lot of these guys saw electoral success what made 
What made Trump different? Well, what happens is normally populism gets adopted by one of the two parties. It becomes a feature of one of the two parties, uh, and, and someone who is more conventional in that party is the one that has a ultimate electoral success. Republicans didn't talk a whole lot about budget balancing until Ross Perot came along and spoiled the party in 1992. Suddenly, Newt Gingrich takes over Congress two years later on a party platform of term limits, but you know, budget balancing, things that Ross Perot would have recognized very, very, very keenly. Uh, his platform became part of the Republican platform. And so typically with populism, that's how it works. A populist movement arises. One of the two parties co-ops it uh, and and sort of re-emphasizes it. But that was a world where we had populists in both parties. And so each party just needed to re-emphasize it and move it up the ladder. There really aren't true populists in the Democratic Party today. And I think that's largely because financial institutions are not the only big power. Yeah. No, I think uh, that's that's very very good point. So, I guess my next question is, where do we go from here? I mean, nothing is permanent in American politics, as you know. You've you have enough experience in uh, in this field to know that. Um, so, the next you know, post Trump, the next GOP nominee is right. it is it going to be Trump light, Trump two point or do we revert back to like a George W. Bush or a Mitt Romney type figure? Well, I think the first thing is he's the first smartphone president. The, the, you know, there's $100 million raised by every Republican donor in America just about to try to stop Trump. They didn't stop him. There were you know, the elected officials in the Republican Party were all against Trump. He had exactly one senator for him. Jeff Sessions. Jeff Sessions, his favorite attorney general. Even as he uh, – <laughs> he's only got one. He has to be his favorite. That's right. Uh, even as he was winning primaries state after state after state, still one senator endorsed him, only 11 congressmen, only three governors, virtually no donors. And so, therefore, the Republican insiders completely missed Trump. He won it with his smartphone you know, by appealing directly to voters and putting his own coalition together. I think one thing to take away from this is every president after this and either party will be a smartphone president. The insiders won't pick either party's nominee in 2020 or beyond. Okay. Um, before we go, Brad, you know, look, you have um, – uh, you have – you're involved in Senate races all across the country. What does the Senate map look like this this fall for Republicans? Well, there are ten Democrats up in states. Trump won. That's a good news. Only one Republican up in state state Hillary won. Dean Heller, Nevada. So Republicans have a great chance to hold the Senate, and really ought to only be happy if we gain a seat or two. Okay, great. Uh, Brad Todd. He is the co-author of a new book. Uh, the Great Revolt Inside the Populist Coalition, Reshaping American Politics. Go to Amazon.com. Go to Barnes & Noble, wherever fine books are sold. Buy this book. I've read it. I highly recommend it. Um, Brad and his co-author, Selena Zito, spent a lot of time on this, and it really shows it's a great book. We will be back uh, here in just a moment. Uh, when we When we come back, we're going to be talking to the Lieutenant Governor of Arkansas, Tim Griffin, is going to join us on the phone. And we're going to talk about a whole host of issues. You're listening to The Dave Ellswick Show. I'm David Ray. Be back in a moment. Good afternoon, Central Arkansas. Welcome back to The Dave Ellswick Show on 101.1 FM, The Answer. I am David Ray, filling in for Dave Ellswick, who is taking a much-needed vacation. Glad you're back with us for the 3 o'clock hour. As I mentioned in the first hour, I have known Dave Ellswick for quite a while. He and I have become good friends through our uh my various roles in politics with the Republican Party of Arkansas and Senator Tom Cotton's 2014 campaign and uh, in my current role as uh, Lieutenant Governor Tim Griffin's chief of staff. So um, I'll just reiterate as a disclaimer, I'm taking time off today to be with you here on the radio in case anyone at home is wondering why a state employee is hanging out at the radio station. 
This half hour, uh, we're going to be joined uh, by Lieutenant Governor Tim Griffin. I believe he's on the line now with us. Lieutenant Governor, are you there? Hello, how you doing? I'm great. We just, uh, we've just we had some great guests in the first hour. We had uh, Treasurer Dennis Milligan in to talk about the Arkansas 529 program, and uh, Brad Todd to talk about his new book. And so we're glad to be joined by you. Man, that Brad Todd book is, uh, is something. The Great Revolt. Yes. Um, uh, I'm trying to help John, my son. That's all right. Brad, Brad really um, has his pulse on the trends in American politics and and just really captures a lot of what's happening in the current political climate in that book. Um, yeah, uh, you, you know, not trying to get you a new job. By the way, I, I heard you say it, and I want to reiterate, you took off uh, vacation so you could do this today, which is which is appropriate. Uh, but um, I don't want to get you a new job, but man, you got a voice for radio. Well, I've been told that I have a face for radio, um, but it's good to know that, uh, that the voice is, is there, too. Um, well, apparently the voice and the and the face they all match up. So <laughs> That's you're, right. You're good to go, baby. Well, my wife was a my wife was a radio news reporter for over five years before we got married. So I've gotten some tips from her on voice inflection and that kind of thing. So we're making it work. We're making it work. Good, 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 good. Well, I'm happy to be on with you. Yeah, and I want to tell um, you, I was I was at an event last night with an organization called Pathway to Freedom that you are involved in, and it was a Cajun food fundraiser for this group that that is a nonprofit down at the Wrightsville prison. And um, if you, for just a moment, I'd like to start off with that. Tell us a little bit about your involvement with Pathway to Freedom. Well, thanks for mentioning that. Um, let me ask you this. Uh, you know, as you know, I was speaking uh, out of town down in uh, Dumas for Ding Dong Daddy Days. And if you've never if you've never been to Ding Dong Daddy Days, first of all, it's a mouthful to say. It's hard to say fast. <laughs> Ding Dong Daddy Days in Dumas. It sounds uh, like a heck of a time. Yeah. So I was down there for that. But uh, how was the turnout? Uh, it was good. The Cajun band from Eunice, Louisiana, was exceptional. They, you know, the the patriarch of this Cajun band makes uh, hand hand builds these accordions, and he was saying that he sell he he makes about seventy five accordions a year, and he sells them to people all over the country in Germany or all over the world in Germany, Japan, um, Asia, all over the place. I d- I had no idea there was a demand for handmade accordions. Well, apparently so. Uh, yeah, I heard just great things uh, from the folks that uh, that hired them. But uh, let me say, if I could, real quickly, uh, a word or two about Pathway to Freedom. So Pathway to Freedom is a nonprofit, and they are a Christ-based, faith, faith-based program, completely voluntary, and they are, they operate within the prison system as a lessee. So they they have a lease on part of the rightful prison. They have a deal with the with the state, and so they are allocated a certain amount of space. And uh, I am I just got involved with them. Oh. Within the last year, I, I think. I mean, I had I had met Scott McLean, the, the director, uh, before, but I'd never really 
I'd never visited Wrightsville. Um, but since since then, since I've gotten interested and involved, I've been down to Wrightsville Prison twice to speak with the uh, uh, with the male. Uh, uh, inmates and participants in the in, in pathway to freedom. They used to have a female program. They do not have that now. I think that they're 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 working through some administrative stuff on that because they have to be held. They have to be separate, obviously. Um, but what pathway to freedom seeks to do is help change and. the whole person give them job training help them with anger management um help them with interview skills uh teach them some of what we call soft skills you know um being responsible being uh, at work being there on time you know being a good employee but it's all faith-based so uh it's there's a lot of uh bible uh teaching and um uh, teaching about Christ, and they have worship services, and I've been down for, you know, some music and things, and they have an amazing track record, um, because there's a lot of so 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 the deal's voluntary. So if you're hypothetically a prisoner, you don't have to, at any point, sign up for Pathway to Freedom, but if you do. If you want to, you can sign up so many months before you get out of prison. And the goal is to get you in this program before you get out for two years or whatever. I think it's up to two years before you get out. And to start to get you ready to be back in outside the the walls of prison, back in society. And the goal, which is good for them and good for us as citizens, is to have them come out and be equipped to be productive uh, members of society, get a job, you know, um, and just get back on their feet. Yeah. That's, that- and that's in everybody's interest. But it's voluntary, David. It's not, you know, and it doesn't reduce their sentence. It's just that's right. that instead of being in the main population, they choose to be in the select, pathway to freedom program within the walls of prison right and then once they've done their time once they've served out their sentence they can go back into civilian life you know with the job skills with the character buildings uh that they that they may not have had obviously when they went in to the system and the goal as you as you mentioned is to reduce recidivism and because it's you know the fact that it's that it's christ-centered that it's a faith-based program i think is 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 the key feature of the program and and this is something that you know i think our friends on the on the left side of the political spectrum miss a lot of times is that government doesn't always have all of the solutions government can't cure male pattern baldness and crabgrass and a lot of times we can change laws but only god can change somebody's heart and that's that's really what the program hangs its hat on and why it's so effective in reducing recidivism gotcha yeah i i that's exactly right uh and, you know, this is something that's 501c3, like I mentioned, it requires money. And so uh, we work off of uh, donations, fundraising, and what have you. And so that's what the point of this Cajun uh, fundraiser was. And, you know, if you're interested in that, um, 
yeah, we can certainly connect you. If you're interested in the program, we can certainly get you more. Uh, we can connect you with the head uh, guy yep. who can get you more information on that, or you can go, you can Google it, and there's uh, lots of information right there. Yep, ptfprison.org. Ptfprison.org is the website. We're coming up on a break, but we're joined by Lieutenant Governor Tim Griffin. Uh, Going to head out to some commercials real quick. This is David Ray filling in on the Dave Ellswick Show. Good afternoon, Central Arkansas. Welcome back to the Dave Ellswick Show. I'm David Ray filling in for the highly trained broadcast specialist, Dave Ellswick, who's taking a well-deserved vacation. Um, as your guest host, we've brought you some interesting topics so far today. Uh, we've still got Lieutenant Governor Tim Griffin on the line with us. Welcome back, Lieutenant Governor. Hey, how you doing? Very good. Um, so, Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We've talked about Pathway to Freedom and your involvement with them. I want to shift gears here a little bit. You know, in the first hour, I was talking with State Treasurer Dennis Milligan about helping parents set up uh, an Arkansas 529 account so they can save for their kids' college. And that sort of led into a little bit of discussion about major selection when folks go to college, what are the best-paying jobs, and there's a lot of research out there on this, and a lot of the best-paying jobs are in the STEM fields, and this is something that I know you've been active on promoting around the state in various roles. Um, tell us a little bit about your involvement on in the STEM fields. Well, thanks for uh, that opportunity. What I want to talk about in particular, first of all, generally speaking, not only do we in Arkansas not have enough workers for the stem related jobs it this is a this is a problem all over the country but but we it's particularly acute here and in other places um and what was really interesting to me today is i toured it's actually second time i've toured this there's a laser company called power technology and it's in alexander right south of little rock and uh, they make lasers for all sorts of applications, military, civilian, et cetera. And um, just incredible work that's going on there. And what's amazing is that we had um, had the opportunity to talk to some of the folks there. And what's interesting is the range of education. So some of the people there had STEM training at the degree level, right, bachelor or master or whatever. Some of them just had some certification or a little bit of training. One, and well, several had no prior training um, in the STEM field, science, technology, engineering, and math. They had simply, they had an attitude, good attitude. They wanted to work, strong work ethic. And they were hired, and all the training they needed, they got there or through the job. And uh, the average tenure of folks there, 17 years. So these are the type of jobs, the STEM-filled jobs, where people can do a long time, they can increase their training over time, and really do some sophisticated stuff. And, you know, one of the things I want to mention, because I was really blown away by it, you know, they, they generally make lasers for, for as I said, uh, military application, what have you. But they've actually invented a way of showing movies using lasers instead of 
the bulbs that projectors and movie theaters normally use. And the colors are more vivid. They use hundreds of lasers in this, in this equipment to generate just amazing reds and greens and really amazing colors. And listen to this. This is what blew me away. Because of, of the, just the, the, the reduced energy usage of these laser-based projectors, if you were to replace every theater in the United States, all the, all the uh, bulb-based uh, projectors that they have, you would replace those with laser. You could reduce the amount of, of energy use of one entire power plant. Wow. It actually eliminate a power plant just by going from bulb-based projectors to the laser-based. And this is really not even, this is a new area. And so they're on the cutting edge of this. It's not something that has become uh, frequent, but it is an area of potential growth that I'm really excited about for them. They've still got to, you know, they've still got to get people to understand the benefits and all. But let me tell you, it's better looking, the, the, the uh, projection, and it is amazing technology. And so I really hope that they succeed with this. They have very little competition. Some have tried this and failed, but here in Arkansas, they've done it. Yeah, so the, stem, the STEM fields are really pushing the frontier on technology and innovation uh, and what is what is possible and those are the you know those are the good paying high demand high quality jobs of tomorrow if you go to you know any any source any listing of college majors you know whether it's Forbes or US News and World Report what have you and you look at the top 10 top 15 top 20 list of top paying college majors the, it's overwhelmingly filled full of engineering and mathematics and other kinds of STEM-related fields of study. That's right. That's right. And, you know, it's funny. We're just talking about this. Um, I just got an invite to the Little Rock Air Force Base STEM Fest. So, you know, one of the things a lot of folks may not realize is if you want to get great STEM training – Great STEM education, science, technology, engineering, and math, and you don't even pay for it, the United States military, whether it be the Army, the Navy, the Air Force, Marines, Coast Guard, there are great opportunities to really uh, get some great training, yeah. great education. My, well, my younger brother is in the Army right now, and um, you know, I know he's talk to me about taking advantage of his gi bill you know you have obviously been in the reserve army reserve for what is it 22 years now i mean the 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 fort the the armed forces are heavy heavy in in stem oh yeah and and the navy and the air force are actually i've seen and to some degree the army are actually advertising and giving out stem promotional material to make that connection. And I think this sort of thing, I can't speak for the Air Force, but I bet you that this is the type of thing that uh, the Air Force is doing to get more young people in the armed services pursuing STEM training. You can have all the high-tech equipment, all the high-tech 
bombs and sighting equipment and targeting equipment and all that, you won't. But if you don't have the people trained to run it, it won't do you any good. And, you know, a lot of kids are really interested in drones and robotics. Well, a lot of the cutting-edge stuff in that area is being done in the military. So I'm a big, big advocate for that, and I encourage uh, anybody – uh, when, if, when they get of age, when they might be able to join the military, I encourage everybody to, at a minimum, take a look. That's take good a look advice. At the, the military, and, and even if you don't want to do it full-time, check out the Reserve and the Guard because you can do whatever you pursue, whatever career you want to pursue, and do this extra. That's good extra advice. Extra money, you- it's extra training, so everybody ought to do it. Yeah, we've got about a minute and a half left. I, want, I just want to ask you before we go, so – for, for a parent who's listening that understands and gets it that, that the high-paying, good-quality jobs of the future are in STEM, maybe they've got a high school student that's about to go to college and wants to major in left-handed puppetry or underwater basket weaving, and they want to steer them toward or, or encourage them to pursue one of these STEM fields, what's your, what's your advice to somebody in that situation? Well, for me, this is personal. I've got an 8-month-old, 8-year-old, and 11-year-old. And what I have seen over the years is the things that young people get to do at their very youngest ages, those are the things that they, in many cases, show an interest in later. So take them to those museums like the Discovery Museum. Give them the opportunity to really engage in science and technology stuff at their school. Encourage them to enter those sorts of competitions, whether they're required or not. Um, You know, just do things like that. Talk about these things. And talk. don't just talk about it in the abstract academically, but talk about the careers that people can be involved in. You know, I've been involved with Million Women Mentors, which is specifically targeted at getting young women interested in uh, the STEM fields. We need it as a country to be competitive internationally. We need it as a state to be competitive in around the world. Yep. And we need yep. it from a national security standpoint. We've got to have more folks interested in STEM, and I encourage folks to take a look at it. It's exciting, that's, it's fun, and God bless you. Yes, that's good advice. Absolutely. Lieutenant Governor Griffin, thank you for joining us. We'll be back in a moment here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Good afternoon, Central Arkansas. Welcome back to the Dave Ellswick Show. I'm David Ray, filling in for Dave Ellswick who is taking a vacation this week, kicking back and relaxing. Russ, do we know where Dave is this week? Is he on a beach or in the mountains? He's on a beach down in Florida. I think he said he was at Pensacola Beach. Some beach somewhere, right? Pensacola Beach, Florida. Yeah. Very good. Very good. The Redneck Riviera, as he called it. Well, Dave would fit in down there. Even though he's from Chicago, He's uh, he's got a little bit of a redneck streak to him. He's um, grown into it being here in Arkansas. That's right. That's right. Uh, I, like I said, I am David Ray, filling in for Dave Ellswick. Welcome back to the program. Uh, we've got another great guest this half hour. We are joined on the phone by Nick Horton. Nick is the research director for the Foundation for Government Accountability. Nick, thanks for joining us on the program. Hey, my friend. It's great to be with you. Thanks so much for uh, having me on. Yes, it is great to have you on. Um, just so folks have some context, give me a very quick description of Foundation for Government Accountability, and what, what, what kind of work do you guys do? Sure, yeah. Uh, FGA, uh, we are a state-based, really state-focused uh, think tank. We focus uh, really exclusively on healthcare, welfare, and work issues. 
our mission is to reduce government dependency. And so we work with uh, state and some federal policymakers as well uh, towards that goal. Absolutely. Well, I'm a big fan of the Foundation for Government Accountability. I'm a big fan of your work. Uh, specifically, I'm a big fan of the work that uh, you have done on uh, the issue of work requirements, linking welfare to the promotion of work. And uh, I want to ask you about that because that's become an issue here in Arkansas a little bit. Um, sure. Give us give us an overview of the work requirement here in Arkansas for Medicaid expansion. Yeah, it's a great it's a great question, and I think one thing that's really getting getting overlooked in this entire uh, debate and some of the hysteria from really the fringe left. It's not even uh, it's not even mainstream Democrats that are freaking out about the work requirements. Really, just the fringe of the fringe, as I like to say. Um, but you know, basically, what we're saying in the state of Arkansas right now, and we're the only state. We should be really proud of this. We're the only state right now that is actively enforcing a work requirement for Medicaid. And, and it's not for, you know, it's not for the aged, uh, the elderly, the disabled. It is only for non-disabled working age adults. Um, it, it's only for those non-disabled adults who don't have dependent children in the home. And it's only for a segment of the Medicaid expansion. So your listeners probably know this because I know this is an issue that, that Dave covers a lot. Um, but our Medicaid expansion program, which is called Arkansas Works Now in the state of Arkansas, that's a very new thing. Uh, it only it only came to be in 2014, January of 2014. That program went live. No one that was on Medicaid before January of 2014 uh, in the traditional Medicaid program, those folks aren't subject to this work requirement. So the idea that this is something uh, drastic that's been put in place that you know people have depended on this program for a long time and now they're at risk of losing it. These are people who, who didn't have these benefits at all just a few years ago, and, and I think we could make a pretty compelling case that they shouldn't have those benefits because those benefits should be there and those resources should be there for folks that truly need them. Yeah, and I'm glad you drew a distinction between the traditional Medicaid program and the Medicaid expansion program because traditional Medicaid, we're talking about uh, populations that we would see as extremely vulnerable, the, the extremely poor the a uh, you know the aged blind disabled uh, pregnant women etc and yet uh, the expansion was the Medicaid expansion was made possible through Obamacare and Arkansas um, I, I believe mistakenly but nevertheless Arkansas expanded Medicaid under pursuant to Obamacare and uh, expend, ex- extended that to um, a new class of people up to 138 percent of the federal poverty level. And so now what the state is trying to do is link a, a work requirement to that. Nick, what are, why should we have a work requirement? What are, what are the benefits of that? Yeah, it's a great question. There's a lot of reasons, um, but there's three in particular that come to mind. I think, you know, when you look at this population, um, and we have the numbers from DHS, from Arkansas DHS themselves, that say 55% of these folks, of these non-disabled working-age adults that are on Medicaid expansion in in the state of Arkansas, they don't work at all. 55% of them don't work at all. They report no income at all. And that's a a really big problem. I mean, this is a welfare system uh, overall, and generally speaking, it's supposed to be temporary. It's not supposed to be uh, a lifestyle. And when you have 55%, over half of these folks that aren't actively engaged in the workplace at all, 
um, that that's a really big problem. And so what we've seen in other states that have imposed work requirements is, well, guess what? You tell someone that, you know, we're going to give you the tools that you need and train you, but we want to help you, you know, get back on your feet and get back to work. They're going to do that. They're going to go back to work. And so it's a really good answer to, to, uh, to solving that problem of helping people get off the sidelines and get back into the workplace. Um, and, th- and then just a couple of other things on that. I mean, when you look at the Medicaid program, we've already touched on this a little bit, but it's a system that was set up to help the truly needy. And every dollar that's going to this Medicaid expansion program those are resources that can't be spent on the folks that truly need help. And so it really comes down to a prioritization of how we're spending our limited tax resources. And then finally, I would just say the program's out of control. I mean, we were told in 2013, I was there at the Capitol covering this issue when this this program was originally debated, we were told no more than 215,000 people, and I say only, uh, but that's a really big number, 215,000 That's a people. big chunk in a state of 3 million people overall. It is. It's a really big chunk. Um, but actually, it was a very low estimate because what we saw as recently as uh, early last year, there were over 330,000 people on the program. So you know, government estimates, once again, don't turn out to be uh, exactly accurate. They undershot the number by about 120,000 people. And so we've got to get that under control. The work requirement is a really effective way to do that. Um, and so that's that's the results that we're seeing now. Yeah, absolutely. And look, you know, in my mind anyway, a work requirement is not designed to be punitive. A work requirement is designed to move people off of welfare and to help them become more self-sufficient. I think it was President Reagan said it best, you know, and it, the quote is, you know, this is not verbatim, but it was something like the best social program is a job. And the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, as people work and get out into the workplace, you start climbing the economic ladder, you earn more money. I, you know, I want to get your thoughts on this. You know, um, I'm sure a lot of folks listening have heard of the success sequence. This is something that it's put out by the Brookings Institution, and they, they do a lot of societal research that finds that there's really, if you want to be, if you don't, if you don't want to be poor in America, there's three things that you can follow called the success sequence, and it has a 98 percent track record of success. In, in other words, and these are the three things: you got to finish high school, get a full time job, and wait until age 21 to get married and have children. So the work requirement touches on one of those things, and that's to to work at a job. Um, I'm sure you've heard that before, Nick. But I mean, the people that say that the work requirement is punitive, they're not understanding the benefits of work. I mean, when does work become a bad thing? No, I, I, th- I think you're exactly right, and you know, we've done research to to find as well that less than two percent of people who work full time are in poverty. And so if you want to solve the welfare dependency problem, you want to solve the poverty problem, there really is only one, you know, foolproof way to do that, and that is to work. I mean, there's no other way to increase your income than to have income. Uh, And so the idea, to your point, that making people work, and and I'll say as well, um, I I would encourage folks, you know, oh, there's, you know, there's no jobs, unemployment. One, that's not true. We've got record unemployment in the state of Arkansas, um, thousands of open jobs. Saw a story just recently from KTV about 
5,000 trucking jobs that are open. The trucking industry is hemorrhaging right now because they can't find enough people to fill these positions. 5,000 jobs just in the state of Arkansas. And those are those are good-paying um, jobs as well. I mean, not to cut you off, but I was reading the other day that yeah. that Walmart is having such a hard time finding truckers that they're they're hiring truckers with, if you have three years or more of experience, they'll hire you and they pay up to $85,000 a year. That's to drive a truck. That's a, that's a really good-paying job. It's a good, they're good jobs that, that come with good benefits. Um, but then I would also just say to anyone out there that thinks work is mean, um, you know, the work requirement that's in effect right now, and, and we have the work requirement, by the way, for food stamps. We have a work requirement in the state of Arkansas for, for cash welfare. If you're a single mom on cash welfare, you have to work, train, or volunteer, do something in exchange for your benefit. It's the same thing on Medicaid. Uh, it's not, oh, you can't find a job, so we're going to, you know, kick you off and throw you off the deep end. The the, the Department of Workforce Services and DHS and, and the Hutchinson administration have done an incredible amount of work to make for, make sure that the workforce system uh, and the employment training system that we have set up in the state of Arkansas, that those resources are, are available for folks, that they can go get training, uh, they can go do job search, uh, they can they can take financial literacy literacy courses. There's a whole host of activities, more than a dozen activities outside of regular real work, which of course we want. um, But there are a whole host of activities that folks can do to fulfill the work requirement. No, that's right. And in my mind, the governor and the legislature are to be commended for moving forward with this work requirement. We're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we get back, Nick's going to stick with us through the break. We're going to get into this a little bit more. And I'm going to ask Nick what he thinks about some of the people who think that this Work requirement for able-bodied, working-age adults is somehow the end of the world. You're listening to The Dave Ellswick Show. I'm David Ray. Welcome back, Central Arkansas, to The Dave Ellswick Show. I'm David Ray, filling in for Dave Ellswick, your highly trained broadcast specialist who's on vacation this week. Uh, we are joined this the rest of this half hour by Nick Horton. He's the research director at the Foundation for Government Accountability. Nick, welcome back to the program. Hey, man. Great, great to be with you. Absolutely. So we were talking before the commercial break about how the work requirement for Medicaid expansion, not traditional Medicaid, but Medicaid expansion for the able-bodied working-age adults receiving this, this government assistance, how it helps move them to a place where they're more self-sufficient, can climb the economic ladder. But I want to ask you about something, because I think I don't remember – a time when work was uh, when, when work was considered a dirty word. You know, I I think that Arkansans as a people understand the inherent dignity of work. I mean, is that is that something that that you have noticed? Yeah, I, I think that's a really great point. And you know, the other thing just that's that's swirling around this entire debate. You know, there's been a lot of uh, even national news coverage of. The work requirement and the reporting requirements that go along with that, you know, heaven forbid, we're asking people to, you know, log into a computer and say, oh, yes, I worked 20 hours uh, this week, or I searched for work 20 hours this week, or I took a financial literacy class for 20 hours this week. And there's this this weird, um, really insulting and kind of, frankly, very offensive suggestion in all of this from this fringe left out there in the Arkansas Times and all these outlets and New York Times and others that people in Arkansas are, are stupid, that we're too stupid to know how to use a computer, um, that particularly people on Medicaid, well, you don't understand, you know, they just, they don't know how to use the system. It, it's too confusing. And I get it that there might be people out there that 
aren't completely computer literate or, or averse to technology. And again, the Hutchinson administration has gone above and beyond to make sure that those folks can get help filling out the forms. Um, but the idea that, you know, well, poor people, they're just, they just don't know how to do this. Yeah, it's a very um, paternalistic to, mindset. It, it is, and, it, and it's insulting, I think, to the people on the program. It's insulting to our state. Um, and, and again, to your point, work is a good thing. Uh, work is a great thing. Work is uh, an essential part. Of yeah, I mean, God created work in the Garden of Eden. I mean, Absolutely. And, and there's tremendous benefits that are derived from work, whether it's you know, not just the economic benefits that come in, come that come from work, but just a sense of fulfillment and success. I mean, I, I feel like hopefully I'm hopeful that our culture is having a moment where we're getting back to an appreciation of work. When you think about the the work that folks like Mike Rowe is doing with the, the you know when he did the Dirty Job show and the moment that we had yeah. uh, just a few weeks back with the the character from the Cosby Show, um, what's his name, Jeffrey yeah. Jeffrey yeah. Owens, who. Uh, was sort of outed for working at a Trader Joe's. Well, you know, so what? There's no, there's no dishonor. There's no indignity in in working an honest job like that. Yeah, and then there's all these suggestions that you know, by doing a work requirement, giving people, frankly, giving people three free months to say, well, we're going to give you a 90 day grace period. If you can't find a job or you can't show up to train or volunteer or take a literacy class, you're going to get three free months of benefits. But after that you got to go back to work. You've got to find a way to contribute because, frankly, we need to free up those dollars for folks that truly need help. And we also need those people contributing. We need those people paying into the system to help take care of those that can't take care of themselves. Um, but the suggestion that by helping people work, you're doing something mean to them, we're helping them. We're putting them on a path to have a stable financial future to make themselves better work is the only way to do that you know we've seen david in in other states that have done work requirements in the state of kansas in particular the less time people spend on welfare the quicker they go back to work so you're actually making it more difficult in the long run by keeping people trapped in the system for them to go back to work and be financially stable Um, the goal of the welfare system particularly for non-disabled adults should be to promote work. Yeah, and I, I look, I think you and I um, view this as a very common-sense development, but there are people out there uh, who are yelling and screaming and saying this is the end of the world, and among those uh, who are lighting their hair on fire the quickest about this is John Brummett, who is a columnist for the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, very left-wing columnist there. And so I want to ask you about some of the things that he has said about this. Um, I have the displeasure of following him on Twitter, although some of his tweets about the, the Razorbacks on game day are kind of funny. Um, his tweets on politics really, uh, you know, they could he could use some some help here so i'm going to read you some of the things he's tweeted and i want to get your reaction maybe we can help him out here let's try so um john brummett tweets uh throwing people off medicaid for not clicking a computer while cutting taxes for the rich is wrong so I'll, i'll address the taxes part first of all state of arkansas has uh they've cut taxes for the poor and cut taxes for the middle class in the last four years so i'm not even sure what he's talking about there but but respond to the part about throwing people off medicaid for not clicking a computer well so again as we've already talked about i mean the Hutchinson administration uh has gone been over backwards and gone above and beyond to give people tools to, to figure out a way to report uh that they're working hours there's a computer 
there's at least two computers, I believe, in every county in the state at DHS offices where folks can go in and report their hours. There's a call center that's been set up that's open 14 hours a day where folks can call in and get help reporting their hours. Uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield, who has an obvious vested financial interest in keeping people on the program because they're making a killing off of the premiums every month, they've hired folks to go out and help people uh, do their reporting. So again, the idea that folks are just too stupid to know how to do this, uh, it's really insulting. And again, I would just say, no one's getting thrown off this program if they meet the requirements, period. That's it. No one's getting kicked up. It, you know, th- this isn't the eligibility rules haven't changed. We're not pulling the plug and, and ending the program overnight. All we're saying is if you want this very generous benefit that is, you know, frankly being paid for by new national debt, uh, you, you can you can do something in exchange for it. Yeah, that's right. All right. I've got time for one or two more of these tweets. Uh, John Brummett tweeted. I straight up asked the governor if it was moral to to use the removal of health insurance as punishment for a poor sick person for not meeting the Internet reporting requirement. Um, So, you know, he's trying to claim the moral high ground here. I would contend that, you know, the moral thing is to is to work and help people lift them up out of poverty through work. What do you say? Yeah, uh, you know, they're big on this. Uh, You know, again, they're trying to conflate the traditional Medicaid program with Medicaid expansion. There aren't, there aren't sick people. There aren't people that are, you know, struggling to survive uh, that are being subject to the work requirement. There are a bunch of exemptions that are available for folks that have disabilities, for folks that have debilitating uh, chronic conditions. Primary care. Those are not the folks. Yeah, exactly. Those are not the folks that are subject to the work requirement. So uh, it's, it's just misinformation at best. And then one last one here from John Brummett. He tweets, uh, I mean, seriously, I guess he's channeling his, his inner teenage girl there. I mean, seriously, this legislature, we've got we've got draws a line. Boy, for a newspaper columnist, he really ought to work on the grammar here. Uh, we've got draws a line on a poor person who can't use a computer while it launders money through bogus colleges for kickbacks to legislators. Well, I'll just say, you know, I, I was calling the GIF's system a, sh- a scheme and a sham while John Brummett was defending it in the pages of the democrat gazette but uh what are your thoughts on on that well yeah i think i think we could talk about gif for for days on end um but again i I think there's just so much misinformation here david i mean the idea again that folks who don't have disabilities that are working age this isn't even the entire expansion population this is only folks that are 30 to 40 years old right now Um, this hasn't even been rolled out for the entire expansion and we're trying to help them. The state of Arkansas, the taxpayers are giving them these training resources, these literacy classes, all these yep. other ways that they can fulfill the requirement. And, and it's up to them to do it. If they want to keep the benefit, they can do that. Nick Horton, you're doing great work with the Foundation for Government Accountability. Thank you for joining us on the Dave Ellswick program. We're going to go to break. After that, the car and truck doctors are here for the next hour. You're listening to the Dave Ellswick program. Welcome back, Central Arkansas. Back to the Dave Ellswick show. I'm David Ray filling in for Dave Ellswick the highly trained broadcast specialist who is on his well-deserved week of vacation. Thank you for joining us here on 101.1 FM. You don't need no week of vacation. In the 4 o'clock hour. That voice you just heard was Duck. He is joined by Joe. These are the car and truck doctors, and they're going to be with us here for the next hour talking about 
all of the issues, problems, questions, troubles you're having with your vehicles. If you want to ask them a question, give us a call right now. The call-in number is 501-823-0965. Duck and Joe, how's it going? Great, doing man. Good. How are you doing, David? I'm doing well. Thanks for thanks for, for being in here this afternoon. So, um, Joe, I got I got yes. something come in yesterday. About one of my guys come in, a customer come in. He said, hey, something's wrong with my vehicle. He said, been sitting four or five days, and it, it just won't go. So I sent Tim out there to go drive it, and he come back, raised the hood, and pulled the air cleaner out, and you would have seen it. Nasty and dirty, wasn't it? Oh, no, it was full of... Uh, rat nest? Full of rat nest. Oh, no. He done been sitting there, and I said, yeah. I said, don't be surprised if you don't have some warning problems. Well, I found a couple of places where they chewed on it and repaired it, and but they built a nest in that joker it's, full of pine straw. It, it's been like that since, I guess, for the past four or five years. We keep saying more yep. and more of that, don't more we? More and more of it, yeah. And that's what I told him. I said, you know, and he left it outside. He said, I could have put it in the garage. They went somewhere. And mm-hmm. he said, I could have put it in the garage, but, it, you know, I thought, yeah, it's okay outside. He said, but next time I put it in the garage. We get a lot of folks that don't understand that, and, and we try and explain to them that if they do, get the rodents get in there, if you don't put something out to kill the rodents, they're going to come back because they're creatures yep. of habit, and they'll go right back to the same exact vehicle in the same exact spot right where you repaired the wiring. And do it again. And chew it up again. Yeah, that's what I told him. You need to go home, put you some traps out, and catch them or whatever, and they get rid of them. Yeah, you need to because I've done it more than once on the same vehicle. Oh, yeah. And, and the second time around, a tow bill and four or $500, pull the intake off, fix the wiring. Yep. It it's, gets very expensive very quickly. Yeah, that's what I told him. I said, look, you, you need to go home and kill them because if you got them outside, they're mm-hmm. probably in the garage too. And if you move it in the garage, they're just going to move in there with it. So I've seen them come in and be packed full of acorns. Mm-hmm. When the acorns start falling, the whole air cleaner will be packed full. They're storing them up for winter. Yep. They're going to sleep there. They're going to spend yep. the night and weekend. And it may be like day and be camping out there for a week. You know? Yep. All right. If you guys are listening and have questions for Duck and Joe about cars, trucks, Anything, my motorcycles, I'm sure they can answer all kinds of questions. Give us a call, 501. You crash a few of them. We know about that. Yeah. Uh, you can't crash too many. You won't live to tell about it. <laughs> well, we're survivors. 501 <laughs> That number again is 501-823-0965. I've got a question for you guys. So sure. last week, my car was stolen. This is the first time I've ever had a, kind vehi- a vehicle kind stolen. What kind of vehicle is it? It was a 2010 Honda Civic. Um. And that's sort of irrelevant to the rest of the story. But well, it is because I wanted to know how they stole it. Yeah. Well, Did you leave the keys in it? No, the keys were not left in it. It was it That was, is a rarity, I promise you. Yeah, it was stolen out of my driveway. I did not leave the keys in it. Um, and so anyway, long story short, I needed a new vehicle to get around in. Sure. So um, I found you know something within my budget I, that I was looking for. I got a 2008 uh ford f-150 mm-hmm. uh fx uh super crew with the yeah. you know, four doors that open in the same direction mm-hmm. i was I, f- I feel like i got it at a good price i got it under what the kbb mm-hmm. value was um you know it's got pretty decent significant mileage it's got almost one hundred and fifty thousand miles on it but the cars and the trucks in really good shape yeah um i was calling my little brother to tell him about it who's really cars you know mm-hmm. auto savvy i'm not auto savvy at all and uh, I work in politics, so um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> elicits the obligatory laugh. But um, my little brother was asking me, 
had it had he had had the truck had the cam phasers replaced yeah and that's all depending on if it's been serviced good too okay so that was my question because i i had no i don't know a cam phaser 2010 it was a 2008 2008 yeah. you're okay seven and back they had a lot of trouble with yeah right, Doug? yeah eight nine and ten they changed that even the, the spark plugs used to break off when the seven and back yeah the eight and up it's a different size plug it's different design it's it's a lot better engine as it, far as the cam phaser issues yeah, it's yeah the they five, all can have cam four. phaser but as long as it's been serviced good and be sure you keep it serviced good mm-hmm. that is the life of that engine if you don't keep it serviced regular it will bite you so i mean aside from i mean what what, what kind of <laughs> service regular type of oil service. and filter changes yeah okay oil and filter oil and filter. Changes. yes yeah. okay don't don't you know don't let it go and and let that oil break down and become a sludge issue because you will have trouble yes those, okay those, those uh cam phasers have little bitty holes going to them they work off oil pressure your engine oil pressure has got solenoids that open and it actually goes in there and the phaser is just uh it's set to where when oil pressure hits it it spin the cam it'll advance or retard the valve timing on the exhaust or the intake camshaft that's how you make it run so smooth and it runs so good and gets better fuel economy and better performance but when you go to lacking on the maintenance and those little holes and passages and those actuators that work those campfires have real fine micro screens in them and they don't take a lot of trash or dirt or anything hanging up in there to make them hang open if they hang open that that phaser is going to stay advanced or retarded and it's going to make the engine run bad okay so same way probably same way with a tensioner on it tensioner on the timing chain that's it they got a small hole in it all right so with good maintenance and upkeep i'm probably in good shape yes with the uh with the 08 so you know as far as regular maintenance goes oil changed you guys have a, a particular mileage that you like to adhere to or a particular type of oil that you like to see used i tell people on them change them every 35,000 3500 miles 3500 yeah, yeah. Uh, be safe about it you can go a little longer but to be safe i tell them around 35 because that way most people get it before it gets 4000 and then the last thing i'm wondering about this truck you know it's already got you know close to 150,000 miles on it but mm-hmm. i mean what what's the lifetime what's the lifespan that you know with good upkeep what do you what do you think three of, and a half yeah, really two and a half to 350 yeah depending on how you drive it Depending on how you drive it, depending on how you take or care of it. highway driving, it can go on the 250 if it's highway driving and hit 350 mark. Yep. I got I got some customers that's got them, mm-hmm. and they, they've got 300 to 400,000 miles on Very good. Well, that makes me feel a little bit better. Now, let's go back to your question about what kind of oil, because that's what we were discussing before the show. Okay. So Chevron Haviland is what me and Duck sell right now. It's good quality oil. They've got all the weights. They've got all the synthetics, the blends, the high mileage. And it's right now currently supplied to us by B&M Oil out of Conway, but Fort Smith and one of them. But anyway, yep. Angel over there, she usually takes care of us. She's our contact point. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're proud to sell that oil. We really are. Okay. And because of its quality, and, and we get it, and, and we have been purchasing it at a pretty good price, we're hoping to maybe improve that a little bit, and we will pass that savings along to our customers, won't we, Doug? You got it. I mean, it, we will do that. I mean uh it's great oil but make sure if you do it yourself make sure you put the right weight in it it's important very important. very important on that thing all right so for folks who are getting out of work early and on your drive home if you got a question for the car and truck doctors give us a call at 501-823-0965 and as they were just saying don't forget to get your oil changed regularly Correct. very important for the life in winter's coming you need to have your car checked anyway car pickup big truck 18 wheeler don't matter 
winter's coming, you need to make sure your antifreeze is good. You need to change your windshield washer fluid from 32 degrees back over to zero for the winter blend. Because if you bust... Wiper blades? Yep. Check your wiper blades, check your belts, your hoses, all that stuff. That is a good reminder. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and then we'll be right back with the Car and Truck Doctor here on 101.1 FM, The Answer. Welcome back, Central Arkansas. You're listening to the Dave Ellswick Show. I'm David Ray, filling in today for Dave Ellswick here on 101.1 FM, The Answer. We're joined this hour by the car and truck doctors, Duck and Joe. And, guys, I was just asking you all during the break about regular oil versus synthetic. Is one is, is synthetic significantly better for maintenance? And your response was? Well, mine is the synthetic oil doesn't it, – it doesn't – it helps you in a couple ways. It doesn't break down. You can drive a little bit further on it between services, and it's got a lot of friction reducers and stuff in it that help the engine, and then you can get a little better fuel economy out yeah. of it. But I don't think it's enough to offset the difference in the cost. Do you, Doc? Uh, no, I don't. I, I've, I've had people ask me that, you know, and I tell them, hey, look, you can get probably another 1,000 miles out of oil change, but time you buy the synthetic oil and put in it, I don't see where it can offset itself. David, a, a lot of cars today are born with synthetic oil, and you have to use that yeah, because no it choice. was engineered for that oil. But if you have a conventional uh, engine or year-making model car that was built with, you know, 520 or uh, or uh, 530 conventional oil, and you want to change it to synthetic, you can do that. It okay. won't hurt it. Now, if you have a car that was born with a zero-weight oil, which will be a full synthetic, you cannot put conventional weight oil in it. You're not supposed to. Now, let me, let's re, rephrase that, too. If you're out on the side of the road and you need a couple of quarts of oil, pour whatever you got in it, ain't it, Joe? Anything's better than nothing. To get you home. <laughs> when you get home, go somewhere and get it get it serviced. Yeah. So, I mean, that's what I tell my customer. Hey, they'll call me. Hey, I can't find that oil. Put whatever you need in it to get you wherever you're going, get you back home. Yeah. We'll take care of it when you get back. You yeah. know, We'll service it up and take care yeah. of it. But, but you know, oils are like that, and, and it's a complicated deal today because these engines do more than just lubricate the rod and main bearings and the camshafts now. they got cam phasers that are works off oil pressure. they got tensioners. they got, got tensioners. they got balance shafts. they got all kinds of stuff in them. That's why you can get a four-cylinder engine to run like a V8. You yeah. see what I'm saying? Because yeah. of that reason. So there's a lot of stuff that when when they build these cars and design these engines they engineer them with a certain oil a certain weight of oil and a certain type of oil and you need to stick with that what it was born with okay important things to keep in mind if you've got a question for the car and truck doctors give us a call 501-823-0965 that number again 501-823-0965 we were talking about the honda. My, my honda that was stolen and yeah. and you were telling me what you got you got two things going on here the 2010 Honda Civic has got a chip in the key, okay? It has to go into the halo. And the minute you, you put that key in the ignition, it goes up there. It's got a skim module around that lock and key cylinder. It pings that key. Ding, 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 ding. Who are you? What are you doing here? It sends a signal back, a code. And it takes that code and it gives it to the PCM and the, the vehicle's computer. And that computer says, yeah, that's 613925. That's the right key. Go ahead and let it crank and run. So if you didn't have the key to your car... It's it's. I'm telling you, there are people out there that can do it, but they're not going to go around and steal an eight year old car, right? Because no. they're more into the high the 2018s. Cars. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They're not stealing your car. So somebody had the key to your car, or, or a tow truck coming got, got it, and it's probably cutting a zillion pieces by now. 
So, I, and and if it's That's a 2010, well, if it's a 2010 and they took it with a tow truck, yes, Duck's probably right. It was a chop shop, and they needed 2010 parts for a total rebuild they were doing. Yep. All they needed was a car. They didn't need nothing else. That's it. So, but but that's what I was going to, you know, if, if you get one stole, and I tell people, you know, if a guy steals your car, he's got to have a key in today's world. The security on that car from the factory is more sophisticated than what you could go down here and buy at any place. Yeah. Because it's key recognition. Well, I've been wondering, you know, just mm-hmm. functionally, yes. if, you know, the two keys that we had for the vehicle, we mm-hmm. both still have. Yeah. So I was wondering how you know functionally how you you couldn't even if even if you loaned your car to somebody and they took your key into walmart and said cut me one of these keys don't wait it won't start it ain't gonna start that car it may turn the ignition yeah turn it over it'll but it won't it. run it ain't gonna run even if it did start it's gonna say that ain't the right key and lock itself out two seconds it's gonna disable the fuel system wow that's crazy yeah well that's the i mean and you know your insurance company if they find that vehicle they can access that skim module. They can tell you the last key that was put in it. Wow. And if you are one of those guys that say, you know, I don't really like this car. I think I'll just drive this off in the lake, collect the insurance on it. <laughs> you better have that key in your pocket. Yep. <laughs> this- and, and if you do, and that skim module says that was the last key that's put in it, the insurance company's probably not going to pay you for that car. No. These are the kinds of insights you get when you ask questions of the car and truck doctors, Duck and Joe. Uh, if you want to ask them your questions, call us at 501-823-0965. You know, and it's not only in on cars nowadays and pickups. They're putting the same stuff nowadays on the 2019 Freightliners and Kenworth and all them. Sure. It's got a halo key, too. They say in another year, they all be just push button. You get in with a fob in your That's pocket, it. punch a button, and mm-hmm. drive off. But but even then, if, if you don't have the proper key and it doesn't have the proper security signal, that vehicle's not starting. No, and it's not going to Auto run. Auto thefts have decreased so much because now what's popular is the vehicles that are being stolen now to go joyriding in from kids. They're stealing older vehicles because they're still accessible. You can yeah. break the column out and manually start it and break the steering lock, and you're off and running. But these with security keys and key fobs, it takes a very it takes a man that is probably a whole lot higher in pay grade than I am or Duck is yeah. with a laptop to go out there to figure out the security code to crack it to start to that car. Start. Yeah. And he's still got to have a key to it to turn the mechanical lock and key cylinder. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? So – if somebody took your car, they either had a key to it, or they rolled up and backed up and hooked it and drove off. They might have took your car and had the coat the key cloned and had a spare made, and then sat down in and drove off. But but that's the only way to do that. I was talking to one of my good customers, and he was telling me today we was discussing this driverless truck. You know where the yeah. trucks are not going to have a driver. He mm-hmm. showed me a picture of the new one. It's tied in with a big trucking company in the United States. Uh, they are in Arkansas. Uh, they're going to have a truck. You know, I mean, you've been discussing about going from yeah, Little Rock have a cab to Oklahoma. It. Yeah. It's not yeah. even going to have a cab or That's nothing. It. Be just a cover over top of it. Mm-hmm. It cranks and goes to a certain parking lot, cuts off. The guy comes out with a truck, hooks up to the trailer, and goes unload it, carry it back, and put it back up, and then it goes on again. Yeah, they just give uh, it another and send it back the yeah. other direction. And they, I was talking to him, and he said that one big trucking company in, around in Arkansas is already trying one of them. And uh, he said they so far they've had pretty good luck out of it. Well, we ain't heard about it on the news. It ain't hurt nobody. <laughs> so. 
<laughs> it ain't wrecked. I promise you, if you have a autonomous vehicle crash, it makes national <laughs> news. news. Hey, our football team made national news Saturday. Yeah. Well, I I, I, I don't even want to get started on that. I promise you. Is that the depressing subject for yeah. most folks in this state? It is, yeah. <laughs> it is me. I, I, I hate that, but, you know, it is what it is. So. Yeah. Got to give him a few years, let him get some players up there that, that can run his system. You know, I, I knew, I told my two sons i said it's gonna be a bad year and it's gonna be mm-hmm. but you know it is what it is i'm still a razorback fan and always will be yeah uh, they said are you on the bus or off the bus i don't know i think maybe i'm hanging behind the bus with a <laughs> rope but i'm not on but i'm not off i'm in the middle of there you know <laughs> hey it's well, about like a package i got the other day they brought me an air compressor hit i overnighted it and they brought it to me and i looked at it and i said i'm not taking that and the guy said well the box is roughed up a little bit. I said, look, hanging out the end of it, the flange was broke on it. <laughs> he said, you can't use it? I said, no, I can't use it. I said, I'm not. And I called the company who I bought it from out of Atlanta. And the guy said, hey, I'll send you another one. Sorry about that. So next day I had another one. Yeah. But it looked like they drug it behind the airplane. Well, they might have. They tied a rope to it and just let it bump. That's what was across. causing the sparks when they were taking off. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we are coming up on a break here in a few minutes, but or here in a few seconds. But if you want to call the car and truck doctors, Joe and Duck, ask them your questions about your vehicle, what you need to do for maintenance. Maybe you're looking for a vehicle, trying to find the right fit for you. Maybe you're having mechanical problems. Give them a call, 501-823-0965. I'm David Ray, filling in for the Dave Ellswick Show here on a Wednesday. And uh, we're going to take a commercial break, and we'll be back again with Car and Truck Doctors here in a moment. Welcome back, Central Arkansas. Good afternoon. You are listening to the Dave Ellswick Show on 101.1 FM, The Answer. I am David Ray, filling in for Dave Ellswick, your highly trained broadcast specialist who's out this week on vacation. As I understand it, Russ was telling me, Dave is uh, vacationing on the Redneck Riviera this week. Panama City. In Panama City. So he will probably come back with a sunburn (laughs) on top of his head. Yeah. (laughs) Dave is a member of the Bald Brotherhood. So um, we're uh, we're looking forward to it. He needs to wear a hat. That's right. And apply some sunscreen. That's right. So, Joe, you know, Chick-fil-A, when we have the car show, they always send us a meal up there with me or something or another. Yeah. They've got a special going on right now. Any chocolate chip cookie or any kind of cookie that they sell, if you come in and buy one, they'll donate 20% of that cookie to Children's Hospital. That's a good deal. And I told him that he asked me about announcing. I said, yeah, I did it Saturday morning too. But, yeah. hey, if you go through Chick-fil-A, I, I'm a diabetic, so, you know, but I, I buy just Buy a duck a cookie and eat it for him. Yeah, there you go. Make sure it's chocolate chip because <laughs> that's my favorite there. But this, uh, you know. I just go through and, and give Scott and tell him here, Scott, donuts to the Children's Hospital. But yeah. if you go in any of them, buy a chocolate chip cookie. They'll give twenty percent of that of the, of the proceeds go to the Arkansas Children's Hospital. That's a great cause. I had lunch at Chick Fil A right around the corner on University off, yep. off of University right before I came over here. I wish I'd known. Yeah, uh, we are here with the car and truck doctors, Duck and Jim, Joe. Joe. Sorry, <laughs> Duck and Joe. Um, we are uh, taking your calls, 501-823-0965, talking everything auto-related this hour. You guys are doing a giveaway, is that right? Yes. We're yep. going to give away a vacuum cleaner today. It's a five-gallon that we've given away before. And we're going to take the fifth caller from now. If you want to give Russ a call, when you be the fifth caller. You know, And then we would like to talk to you about you know what kind of vehicle you drive. Yeah. yeah. 
Give us a call, 501-823-0965. Your shot at winning that vacuum cleaner. Call Russ at 501-823-0965. We'll be giving that away here in the second half half of this hour. So, Joe, you know, I got a new truck. Mm-hmm. Well, it's been in the I, shop more than I, you've been driving. I guess I got a new truck. I'm, I'm driving there. So, yeah, they called me last Thursday and say, hey, your truck's going to be ready in the morning. OK, no problem. Yes, I did. Fifth, fifth caller. Fifth caller. Yes. Fifth caller. Yep. So Friday come by. They didn't really call me. So Monday morning I called over and I said, hey, uh, my truck ready yet? Um, well, we got a little problem with it. Now, they put another motor in it. Yeah. They started out of the drive, out of the out of the office or the shop with it, and it's got a knock, 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 knock. Again, spun number two rod bearing. <laughs> wow! This truck got fifty two hundred miles on it. No, it's a yeah vacuum cleaner. Yes. Wow! I can't believe that. That's that's <laughs> your, your truck's been in the shop more than you've been able to drive it. I've drove their trucks more than I've drove mine. Yeah. I probably have put. Out of the four vehicles that, because every time I get five, close five thousand miles, I have to take it back and give it back to them. And yeah. this one here, it's got right at four thousand on it. Wow, and so, I hate to hear that. But you know, my wife, she said, "Are you not sick of this?" Nope. She said, "I'm driving their truck. I ain't no miles on mine." <laughs> yeah, they'll get it straightened out. Oh yeah, he he called me this. They're wait, they're waiting on General Motors to come look at it now. They're they're trying to figure out. What but, happened? But that didn't happen on the first one. The first two had the lifter come apart and yeah. I ate the block up. And, you know, yeah. so I, he said, man, I'm sorry. I'm, I'll get you quick as I can. I said, hey, look, man, it's okay. I, I know how it is, don't we? Yeah, we do. We know exactly how it is. Well, we both worked at dealerships, and a lot of times on the new products like that, if they have a if they have an engine failure like that, it's all up for inspection, and, yep. the, and the engineers are going to come look at it, and they're going to dissect it to determine what happened. So if they have a manufacturing problem they can stop find the root cause of it and get it cleared yeah, up we, we it can stop and clear it up right then That's but it. but the one i'm driving now it's got the same motor i'm mean, the same truck it's just mm-hmm. gray in color and i say it had seven miles when they give it to me and it's got right at four uh, four thousand on it now well they'll be looking for the product line like yeah. the the vendor for the each specific product yeah products that they bought from somebody in a specific timeline and they'll be looking out there to try and see what caused that Thank you, Russ. All right, so we have uh, we're doing a contest this half hour, like we just announced. Fifth caller is our winner. If you have questions, call us five zero one eight two three zero nine six five. I think we've got our fifth caller. That was Russ in my ear telling me that James is on the line. James, welcome to the Dave Ellswick Show. You're on. Hey, James, how are you? Hey, how are you? Wonderful. You ready to Uh, clean up your truck with this wet and dry vac? Well, yes, I am. I run a mechanic shop. I have my own business. I do uh, diagnostics. I'm an electrical electrical engineer. Um, I've been working on cars for about 45 years. Uh, I built my first engine when I was eight years old. So, and then I went to school, got an electrical engineering degree. I've done diagnostics. I've done drivability. I've worked for dealerships, and. Uh, so well, what what kind of car do you about. drive, James? Well, right now I'm driving a motorcycle, but I have okay. a 1927 T model pickup. <laughs> you really? didn't come to our car show, yeah? Yeah, and this is a show quality uh, restoration. This is a beautiful truck; it's for sale, and uh, I've got it advertised. And 
What's a, what's a contact number, if you would just tell that to everybody, and you might get some calls on that. 501-951-7215. So you have to go to Benton. Go to the bumper-to-bumper bumper store in Benton. It's off of Military. It's on 408 Watson Street. And go in there okay. and see Dickie and take your driver's license, and I'll tell I'll call him when I get back and tell him that you're coming by. Okay, so that's Benton. Benton. Bumper and Military Street. Yeah, it's off of Military. It's actually 408 Watson Street. 408 Watson Street. Yes, sir. All right. I'm going to put that in my phone. All right. James, Thank thanks, you, James. James, thanks for calling in. We've got another caller on the line. Paul in right. El Paso. You're on with the car and truck doctor. Hey, Paul. Hey, how are y'all? Wonderful, man. How are you doing today? I'm all right. I got a question y'all was talking about oil. Uh, I got a... I got to rebuild this big block Chrysler that goes in my show truck. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. What do y'all recommend for a break-in oil? And then what do you recommend to run? What kind of oil do you recommend to run in it that's got all the additives in it that this motor needs? Because it ate a, it ate a camshaft. Well, did you did, have you done any work on it before it, the camshaft got eat up? No, I bought the truck. And it was all the motor has only got the motor six yeah. years old. It might have two thousand miles on it. Well, I'm going to tell you the biggest problem you have with that, and people don't know this. Anytime you remanufacture, rebuild an engine in today's world, you've got to put zinc additive in the oil to break it in. Yep. Otherwise, it'll eat the cam and lifters up every I time. I understand that now. It'll, it'll I do, do it. Know that. <laughs> I'm going to tell you. I, I, I bought an engine from a rebuilder. And put it in a little Jeep, and while we were adjusting the fuel system on it, it wore out a cam lobe because they test run their engines, but they did not put the additive in it. No, yeah, they wow. did not send it to to me to put it in. There's nowhere in the instruction sheet, so they they shipped me another motor. And just for to be safe about it, I bought the zinc additive and poured it in there before I started it because I didn't want to have to okay. do it again, you know. But but a lot of people don't know that, but and it's a good I question to it. ask. And you usually learn that on the hard side, on on the back side of making uh, not doing that. And I think the guy that did the last engine in that probably failed to do that, and that's why he eat the camshaft up. I agree. I agree that, and they bought a pretty cheap cam for it too. What what size engine is this? It's four hundred. Four hundred. I'm going to tell you if 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 it was mine, I would be running a ten forty oil in it. Yep, me too. That's what I'd be running in it. And you know, cast you 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 could use a twenty fifty Castrol. I think Castrol's the only one that makes that. But Chevron is what we're selling right now, and that's some good stuff. I promise you. You can put a ten forty in it, and you'll be just fine. Okay. Well, what do I need for non detergent to rebuild it? Well, you just put that in there and put the zinc additive in there and run you'll it for about great. 500 miles and then drain it out and then change it and you'll be good. Yep. So run, build it and run the same oil. That's yep. what you're saying. That's it. And put the zinc additive in it before you ever start it. Yep. Okay. Where do you get the zinc additive? Because I hadn't seen that yet. And I'm taking notes here because you I'm can not, buy that this ain't going to happen again. You can <laughs> buy that at the speed shop in North Little Rock. Yep. Uh, on Crystal okay. Hill Road used to and be Leonard's. Now it's. I think a lot of I think Crow Burlingame's got it. The 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 bumper to bumper guys sell it, but it's available. You will have to request it though, because uh, yeah, you go to bumper to bumper, you'll yeah. probably have to order it from the warehouse overnight. Yeah. Okay, well that's not a problem. I'm just now getting started. It's it's at the it's getting tanked and freeze plugs. I'm going back all the way up. I found a bunch of 
scooby goop in the bottom of it that I didn't like. They used plumbing parts in the pickup tube. And <laughs> yeah, it's not pretty. This one's going to be built by me, and it's going to be built right. So. Yeah, but if you do that, you won't have no problem. Okay. All right. Well, thank you all very appreciate much. Appreciate you. Thanks for it. calling. You're welcome, Paul. I want to ask you guys one question. So sure. one of the um, problems I've had with vehicles in the past is – I've taken it into the shop when I can feel when when I can feel that the brakes are getting mm, you know thing. kind of on on the fritz. Yeah. And every every it seems like the past couple of times I've taken them in, I've taken them in to where the life on the brake pads is just completely shot and they got to replace the rotors too. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. of course it costs much more to do it, but both if you, of that. It, all brake pads have they warning device. Okay. So have that little basically okay. when you're backing up you'll hear it. Yeah, you hear that little In Arkansas, you either got the heater on or you've got the AC yeah. on and the radio playing. So a lot of people don't ever hear that. Now, I'm going to I'm going to make this statement. If you bring it to one of the bumper to bumper certified service centers and like get it me serviced. And, Doug, and get it serviced, we do an oil service. That is also an inspection of the vehicle. We look at your tires, we look at your brakes, we check all your fluid levels. Check all your lights. Just like on your truck you bought, we're going to check the grease in the rear differential, the transfer case, the transmission. Front we're going to check it all. Okay? All right. If you had that done with your regular oil service, you probably would have, they would have said, you got 80% of your brakes are wore out in the next 5,000 miles, you need brakes. Yeah. That would have helped you save those rotors. And would help me save some money. Yes, yep. because we can machine a rotor for fifteen dollars a rotor. If you replace them, they're like sixty dollars a rotor. Yeah, that's a big difference. Yes, it is. Be one hundred and twenty dollars versus thirty bucks. And and another thing too, we're looking your car over. We're not only just changing your oil and your filter. We're checking your lights. We check your belts. We check your hoses. We go over from you know, make sure your windshield washer is full. You know, wipe. Look at your wiper blades. Hey. Dennis, you you know your, your wiper blades need to be replaced, or you know sure. we're not going to sell you something that you don't need. I promise you that. But you're getting your car inspected, so you don't have breakdowns that are untimely. If you knew you needed your brakes done in five thousand or ten thousand miles, you'd schedule that appointment, wouldn't you? Yes. And you wouldn't be saying that. Well, it started it this morning before I got down the end of the street. It's grinding. Yep. Thus, you would have an issue with that, you know. That's right. And so, you know, it, it's all in a matter of, of doing the right thing. And, and uh, you know, me and Duck are certified service centers, and we uh, we strive hard to make sure that we try and catch everything before it becomes a big problem. And, and you know, little problems are easier to take care of before they become big problems. And also, the the, the biggest thing about that, they're cheaper, too, aren't they, Well, Doug? you know, that's what uh, my dad used to always tell me. Pay me a little now or a whole bunch later. Boy, I've heard that before. That that is good advice you are listening to the dave ellswick show i'm david ray filling in for dave ellswick join this hour by the car and truck doctors we need to take a quick break but we'll be back in a moment welcome back central arkansas it is 452 here on a wednesday afternoon you're listening to the dave ellswick show i'm david ray filling in for dave ellswick and uh we've got the car and truck doctors here for the rest of this hour talk taking your questions on anything automotive uh, we do have a caller on the line, Jerry from Saline County. You're on with the car and truck doctor. Okay. Duck? Hey, Mr. Jerry, how are you doing? All right. You're recommending changing fuel filters every time you change oil now, aren't you? Yes, sir. Okay. Because you know why, changed. don't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
I just changed oil, so when could I come by and get a filter? Just come by. I keep them in stock. Just come by anytime, but don't come between 12 and 1, and I'll get somebody to do it while you wait. Okay. No problem, Mr. Jerry. <laughs> All right. Yeah, Jerry, Jerry had the problem with the injector's problem. Was it been about a year ago, Mr. Jerry? Yeah, probably a couple of years now. Yeah, I can't remember how long it's been, but yeah, just come on by, and I'll get somebody to change it for you. Okay. You know, you're talking about those uh, disc pads making the noise. When yes, sir. I got an one Toyota. I never heard a peep out of it. I checked the things, and they were just almost metal to metal. Sometimes they don't don't have them, do they, Joe? Well, they usually got them, but the only squawk most of the time is when you're in reverse backing up yeah. at slow speed. Yes, when you're here. If you're going forward, they have, they've kind of put them on the back side of the pad. So if you're going forward, they don't make near as much noise as they are when you're backing up. I, yeah, well, I back up around here turning around, you know, yeah. and I, I never heard anything. Actually, it's just a little metal uh, tab here, on the end yeah. of the pad. When it wears down, it starts rubbing the rotor, and it causes it to squeak and chirp. My, I've seen those. My my neighbor come by the other day, and I was standing out there in the driveway getting the mail, and I flagged him down. I said, hey, uh, Norman, you need some disc pads. Why? <laughs> I hear it when you come by me. <laughs> now, I will tell you, sometimes you can be tone deaf to that particular squeal. So Yeah, and, uh, you know, I – you might I heard just, that one coming down the like, road. So. It's like Duck said, his neighbor ain't heard nothing, but he can hear it sitting out there checking his mail when he goes yeah. by at low speed. So Just come on by tomorrow the next day, and I'll get you changed, Mr. Jerry. Okay. Sometime in the morning? Yes, sir. That'd be fine. Okay. All right. Thank you, Mr. Thank Jerry. You. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Thanks for your call, Jerry. And that's, for it, folks who want to call in, give us a call, 501-823-0965. Uh, car and truck doctors are here to answer your questions. And that's my recommended. If you got a diesel pickup, I must special if it's an 09 and up, you need to change a fuel filter every time you service it. And, Duck, explain why. What, what the repercussions of water getting into the fuel system? One drop of water goes into the, into the injectors. That injector is bad. One small drop. And the manufacturer won't pay for it under warranty if it's no, because of water intrusion. And the first thing they're going to do is they're going to pull a sample out of the tank and they're going to show you, hey, you got water in your fuel. I don't care where you buy your fuel at. I tell people to buy fuel where it changes regular. Like I tell people go to a truck stop and buy it or somewhere. Where massive where, amounts of it. Yeah, where they sell a bunch. And All right. Change your fuel filter. Sorry to cut you off there. It's okay. We got a caller on line one. Mark, what's your question? Hey, thanks for taking my call. Um, I have a question about a vehicle that I just bought. Which I'm new to it. It's a 2005 GMC Sierra four-wheel drive pickup. It has brand-new tires on it. And uh, I've noticed that uh, it gets uh, what I would characterize as a cyclic vibration between 50 and 60 miles an hour. Below that and above that, no vibration that I can tell. I was hoping you guys could help me understand the vehicle a little bit, see what's going on. All right, well, I have a couple of questions. What's the mileage? Uh, it has 149,000 miles on it. Okay. And about 45 to 50 miles an hour, you say, or a little no, faster? it's between 50 and 60. 50 and 60. It's. It, I, I'm going to tell you, most of those vibrations at that speed, if it's... It, does it change when you push the accelerator down and let off the accelerator? Does it change any, or does it stay there? 
Um, I don't notice that it changes. It, okay. It's just in that range. If yeah. I move through the range quickly, of course, I don't notice it as much. But yeah. when I'm driving in that area, whether I'm accelerating slowly or slowing down slowly, I'll notice it. Yeah, it sounds like a tire vibration yep. problem. That's what I was thinking. Say, sound like you need to care. Or what are they? They're not the original tire that's on the truck. I mean, there are they any wider than what comes from the factory on the truck, or do you know? You know, I could not speak to that. I don't know what it had originally. I do know that they were brand new tires when I got the truck. Okay. Yeah, they, it might just be a little balance issue there. Yeah. What what brand of tire is it? Um. I'm drawing a blank right now. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, well, that's fine. Where are but, you located at? Yeah. Where am I located? Well, yes, I'm actually uh, on the way to Little Rock right now, but I, my home is in Conway. In Conway? I, yes. I'm going to tell you, in Conway, uh, you know uh, Tom Barkley's auto Con- service in Greenbrier? Uh, no, sir. I don't get up that way very often. Okay, well, if you're coming by in North Little Rock, you can come by my place, Crystal Hill Road. If you'll come by and let me drive it, I can tell you whether it's a tire vibration or if it's or something else other going problems. on. That's and right. I, I'd lay you out that's going to be in the, in the tires yeah. on it. Yeah, but I'd be happy to okay. uh, road, road test it yeah, for you. Yeah, just come by and we'll a, go with you. Yep, we'll do it. All right. Okay. Thank you very much. appreciate it. Right, Thank Mark, you. Thank you. All right. Uh, we got another caller on the line, Chris. Chris, we're coming up on a hard break. You'll have to hold on. Uh, I think we'll get your... I think we'll get your question answered for you off air. We're not going to have enough time to get to it this hour. Hang on, Chris. Don't hang up. Um, Thank you guys for your calls and for joining us uh, here with the Car and Truck Doctors, Duck and Joe. Um, I'm David Ray filling in for Dave Ellswick today. We're going to have a couple of great guests in the next hour. When we come back from break, we are going to be talking to the House Majority Leader of the Republican House Caucus in Arkansas, Marcus Richmond. You'll want to stick around for that. This is David Ray in for Dave Ellswick on the Dave Ellswick Show. Thank you. All right. Welcome back, Central Arkansas, to the Dave Ellswick Program. I am your guest host today, David Ray, filling in for the highly trained broadcast specialist, Dave Ellswick, who is probably relaxing on a beach somewhere right this moment, uh, sipping an adult beverage of his choice, enjoying some well-deserved time off. Thank you for tuning in to 101 Point one FM, the answer on your drive home. We've, we're going to get back to politics this hour. Um, we had the car and truck doctors in last hour, but we're getting back to politics this hour. Our guest this half hour is the majority leader of the House Republican Caucus here in the state of Arkansas. He is Marcus Richmond. Marcus, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Glad to have you. We're going to get into quite a few topics this half hour, but first I want to uh, I, I want you to tell folks um, a little bit about yourself. Where is the district that you represent, and uh, what is your what is your background? What did you do before you were elected to office? Well, my district is District 21, and that's over in western Arkansas. It's uh, it's actually the second largest district in the state. It runs from Rye Hill, Fort Smith, all the way down to the Mena city limits, and then it shoots east along the north shore of the Washita Lake, all the way to Jesseville, and then I even go up into Perry County up around hollis in that area it's mostly muddy creek refuge and washington national forest as far as the uh the geography but it's a it's a very rural district and uh you spend a lot of time uh at uh, volunteer fire departments you got a lot of curvy roads in your district it's a lot of curvy roads a lot of good hunting a lot of good fishing that sounds like it we may have to i may have to pay you a visit during deer season down there it'd be great uh tell me a little bit about what did you do before you were elected to office you're not a you're not a lifetime politician oh you? no no this was uh this was something that uh actually i just kind of 
got tired of complaining and thought, well, let's you know get involved and, and do something yourself. But uh, you know, I graduated from Arkansas Tech University. Grew up over uh, close to Walden, Arkansas. Uh, grew up on a dairy farm and then a beef farm. And uh, when I graduated from Tech, I took a commission in the United States Marine Corps. Spent 22 years as an infantry officer in the United States Marine Corps. Retired. And initially, uh, coached football at the college level up in Virginia, and but I wanted to come back home to Arkansas because that's where I wanted my kids to grow up. You know, you come here and you drive down the road, people wave at each other and everything, uh, not necessarily the way it is over in Virginia sometimes. And uh, we come back, and then I coached uh, high school ball for a little while, and then I went to uh, work at a private business, and eventually my wife and I took that business over, and it's called America's Pet Registry Incorporated, and we run that business. She basically does the work. When I got involved in politics, I think she got tired of hearing me come in after being gone and start asking questions. She finally just said, I've got this. Why don't you go do your political thing? Huh. And I, I understand that you are you just became a grandfather. Is that right? You don't look old enough to be a grandfather. Uh, well, I appreciate that. But uh, actually, I've got, I've got one grandson that's eight years old. Okay. And, and, then, uh, and then I had another one uh, from my son, and he's going to be two in November. But then they just had another little girl. Brand new one. Brand new one, born in uh, uh, this last Saturday at 1.20 a.m. And uh, then my daughter is actually, which has the eight-year-old boy, she's expecting in December, and she's going to have a little girl, too. So we're going to get two sets. Very good. Very good. Well, I want to ask you, I want to get into some issues real quick. Um, One of the big issues that's going to come up in the 2019 legislative session is taxes and tax reform in Arkansas. Uh, this has been a big issue because there's been a lot of rounds of tax cuts in Arkansas. 2015 was the middle income tax cuts. 2017, there was the lower income tax cuts. Also, the uh, retired military income tax elimination. So, there, And the governor has put together this task force on tax relief and reform. What is the What, what are the thoughts on House, caucus, House Republican caucus members as it relates to tax cuts for the 2019 session well we certainly want to move forward in arkansas with uh making the state more competitive and of course one of the things we have to do is uh, is to cut our tax rates uh that we have here in this state because uh, frankly we're not competitive because of them and so we're going to support the governor the big thing though when when you get down to it is is how do you pay for it are we going to cut are we going to you know pick winners and losers, those type of things. My position is we look to cut costs where we can and pay for it that way as much as possible. I, I don't like the idea of picking winners and losers and just shifting that tax burden around. Uh, I think that uh, when you do that, that uh, you're not really making the hard choices or, or as hard of choices as you should make in order to make this state more competitive with our neighbors. I'm glad you mentioned competitiveness because – most of my family lives in Tennessee. I was born in Tennessee before I moved over to Arkansas. Tennessee has 0% income tax rate. You look at our neighbors to the west, you know, not too far from where your district is, over in Texas. They're at 0%. All of the states that surround us have a lower uh, income tax rate than Arkansas does. Our highest income tax rate is 6.9%. So talk about from a competitiveness standpoint, from a – you know, making our state attractive as a place where somebody would want to come and work and live. How important is it for us to work on our tax structure? Well, it's critical. I mean, you know, when corporations and other places and individuals even, I mean, I've got a couple of nephews that are retired military, 
and before we we passed that legislation they chose to go to tennessee because they were not going to be taxed on the retired military there and so i mean these are very highly skilled individuals that could have uh, probably really helped us in a lot of areas and things with their skills and and so that's one of the things that has been beneficial but we've got to come from that 6.9 and, and we've got to move down to around 5.9 percent in my opinion and and that is a good starting point however what you don't want to do is make the mistake that kansas made and move so fast that your economy can't keep up with you and then you find yourself in a deficit and having to backtrack that right. would be devastating to us well what kansas did was they cut rates but they did not have the discipline to rein in their spending so the two work in tandem together you identified that uh, i'm glad you touched on workforce and attracting quality individuals to our state with the skills that employers need you know in my day job with as chief of staff to the lieutenant governor we tour businesses all the time and one of the things we hear the most from businesses is we need quality workers um is that something that that you guys are focused on oh yeah we you know again it's uh we've got to provide the base work as far as education for our young people coming up not everybody's going to go to a university and you know and get some degree that uh, from a university be an accountant be a lawyer be a teacher whatever it might be there's there's a lot of people out there looking to do something else and those are high-paying jobs, highly skilled jobs. We've got to be sure that we have the ability to give them the skills so that they can fit in today's workforce. And we have moved forward with that, uh, expanding that, and that's become a priority. Uh, I think you can see the difference. But we've still got a ways to go. We've got to catch up, frankly, in that, uh, for, in my opinion, for too long, we've had kind of a centralized focus on the four-year degree and and have not really put the focus on technical skills that we should that has changed it's continuing to change and i think you're going to see an improvement because we need to provide those quality workers to the industry and that's another thing that makes you competitive as far as attracting new business is they look at your workforce and go those guys can do something and, and again you know, kudos to the governor with the with the coding and that type of thing that that he has brought in because it truly will make a difference in the quality of our workforce yeah no that's a great point absolutely um and we need good workers all throughout the educational spectrum whether it is two-year college votech uh you know welders computer programmers all the way up to four-year degrees and and doctorates we need people all across the spectrum uh we're joined here by the majority leader of the house republican caucus marcus richmond we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we're going to get into some more issues uh that concern the state of arkansas this is david ray filling in for dave ellswick on the dave ellswick show welcome back central arkansas this is david ray filling in for dave ellswick on the dave ellswick show we're joined back in the studio for the rest of this half hour by the house majority leader of the gop house caucus here in the state of arkansas his name is marcus richmond mark uh marcus welcome back to the program again my pleasure absolutely so before we went to the commercial break we were talking a little bit about taxes and the tax relief that has taken place in the last several years and what's going to come up perhaps in the 2019 session you hear a lot from the democrats recently whether it's you know um jared henderson the guy they've got come running for governor or whether it's their their your counterpart their leader john michael gray um they they talk a lot about how you guys are just going to cut taxes for the rich this is kind of the max brantley john brummett line of attack what what do you what do you say to people who say that well, I just say this, you know, that's just pure nonsense. I mean, this whole thing started out with the middle class tax break, and then it moved down to the lower income tax, 
for those folks as well. And, and what they don't understand and, and what they always stand against is the idea that we're going to allow hardworking Arkansans to keep more of their money. It's not our money for the government. It doesn't belong to us. But that is when, – when it comes to their view, every nickel you make, if you're a hard worker, you've got a job, is we're going to get all of it. We're going to get as much of it as we can. And then, you know, they, they basically, if you are a hard-working Arkansan, I mean, the, the programs and the ideas they have, they punish you for working. Yeah, they, they, have the, they have the mindset that they can spend your money better than you can, which is sort of a very paternalistic, arrogant notion. Oh, yeah. And, and, and again, and then, you know, the, when you talk to these folks and you talk to their, their uh, people that support them, there's just all this anger. Uh, they're angry, angry about everything. Well, uh, you know, okay, I understand. You know, higher wages, lower taxes, lower un- unemployment. You know, the the uh, uh, capitalism you take and strip away all the regulations and things that hold it back. Suddenly, it's chugging along, and and yeah, you're angry because we that makes socialism look like such a stupid choice. Yeah, that, well, it goes to their their view about class uh, class envy and class warfare. I want to ask you um, a little bit about uh, just real quickly about uh, welfare reform. Now, Arkansas was one of the states that uh, this was back in 2013 that this took place. Arkansas expanded its Medicaid program pursuant to Obamacare. That was done several legislatures ago before you were in office. Uh, Not a choice that you made, but we are where we are. And the state has moved forward. The governor should be commended for this leadership in, in working to put a work requirement not for disabled people, but for able-bodied working-aged adults, people who um, are of working age and do not have disabilities, a reasonable work requirement on that. Why do you feel a work requirement is a good thing? Well, I think it's important to, uh, to try to get people to move forward with their lives, that uh, when you become a, a, a dependent of government, and that is your view of the future, that's not a very bright future. And that we have a tendency, we used to have saying in the Marine Corps, you know, a Marine will never run when he can walk, never walk when he can stand, never stand when he can sit, never sit when he can lie, never lie when he can sleep. A human being sometimes have a tendency to go to that lowest expenditure of energy, and it's not good for us. And if you if you give people a work requirement and you require them to improve themselves, they start taking pride, they start taking ownership. I mean, I truly believe that it, that is a way to move people forward not because, oh, get out there and get a job, but because your self-esteem, everything about you is going to improve in your life if you seek education, you seek to qualify yourself, and you move forward into the workforce. You're going to feel better about yourself. Your family's going to feel better about you. It's just a positive, smart thing to do. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, you move people up the economic ladder. They make more money from working than they're going to get from government benefits, and Uh, There's an inherent dignity associated with work. Work gives us purpose. It gives us meaning in life. You know, God created work in the Garden of of Eden. So work is is a good thing. It's not a punishment. Um, I want to talk real quickly. You know, there's a – this is going to affect you potentially and all of your colleagues. There's a a ballot initiative on the uh, ballot this November regarding term limits. I think there's – you know, look, there's a lot of – Term limits are very popular in theory. When you get into the specifics, you gotta you gotta you gotta work on that. Um, there's a lot of misinformation, I think, out there about this. Some people think we're, they're going to enact term limits on Congress. That's not the case. 
Other people think we don't have term limits already in Arkansas. That's not the case. What are your thoughts on this ballot initiative and and that the voters are going to consider in November? Well, you know, this again, when you're when you're a representative, it's a tough thing because it sounds self-serving when you get up and say this is not a good idea. But it's not a good idea. What you're losing out there is your individual representative that represents that specific con- uh, constituent, the closest representation of state government that they have. He's losing his experience, his ability. It takes a little while to figure out how things go down here and how effective you can be. The other thing you're losing is the check and balance on government itself. Three co-equal branches of government. We're part-time legislators. We come down here, and as I saw the first time was when I come was uh, as a first-time guy, basically your lobbyists had a lot to say about what was going on. Your state agencies had a lot to say about what was going on. The executive branch of government had to fill that void as far as knowledge, and so did the lobbyists and the state agencies. You, the people, had less representation. So our current term limits are 16 years max. They're going to move to 10 years max if this passes. If this passes, I've seen reports from Talk Business and other places that there's going to be 80% turnover in the state legislature within two years. That's going to lead to a lot of brand-new legislators with no experience, isn't it? Absolutely, it will. And, and, and again, what you will see is now – when I first got here, you know, people would come into the committee meetings and, and whether it was audit or something else, and, and you'd get some individual that really had no answers, and they just, I'll have to get back to you, have to get back to you. Now they're coming, the directors and other people are showing up, and they're answering the questions because they realize that this guy hasn't gone away, and he's probably not going to go away. And what they don't realize, if you look at, at how the normal procedures go with the elections, we've got about a close to a 20% turnover each election normal yeah. just, it's just people normal. getting defeated and retiring yeah. and moving on and, and so all you're doing is crippling the representation of the people of the state of arkansas by going to such an extreme term limit when we already have them. now i don't know how many people are going to stick around for 16 years i i personally don't have any plans for that no and you throw the baby out with the bathwater i'll give you an example my state representative in Maumel, mark lowry does a great job i love his voting record he's a fighter on the issues that i care about I don't want Mark to be term limited out. I want to be able to continue to vote for Mark. Yeah, the people in your district are going to lose. They're going to lose a great representative if he gets termed out. Yeah, that's right. Uh, before we before we uh, go to break, um, you know, one of the things that you guys do as state representatives that a lot of people don't know about is you don't just debate bills. You often have to help constituents solve problems that call you. I understand you have a pretty cool story about that. Well, I do. I've, I've got an individual named Robert Slayton who was a constituent – he and I graduated from high school together a long time ago, back in 1974. I got contacted last summer by his sister-in-law that he was locked up in a Saudi prison, had been there for seven years, and they had moved him to death row. Well, I started calling around trying to get help on this, and nobody, nobody, and when I say that, I mean everybody, nobody had helped him or knew how to help him. But we got together and to show the power of prayer, organized prayer groups. I talked to everybody I could. We wrote a letter. My wife and I wrote a letter to Trump, got a point of contact back. It took nine months, but we got him out of that place. What a cool story. That is really, really unique. You don't hear that every day. Marcus Richmond, thank you for being on the show with us. Uh, he is the House Leader of the GOP Caucus. We've got to take a commercial break, and uh, when we come back, we got State Representative Andy Davis from Little Rock joining us. You're listening 
to the Dave Ellswick Show. I'm David Ray. Be back in a moment. Welcome back, Central Arkansas. You're listening to the Dave Ellswick Show. I'm David Ray, guest hosting for Dave Ellswick today. Dave is probably at this hour somewhere sitting on a beach down on the Redneck Riviera enjoying a uh, nice adult Man, he's beverage. eating crab and shrimp right now. Eating crab and shrimp right now. Well, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, a lot worse things you could be doing with your time. We are joined uh, as you're driving home this last half hour with State Representative Andy Davis. He is in the studio with us today. Representative Davis, thanks for joining us. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And tell us, um, before we dive into, uh, we're going to talk about financial literacy. And that seems like uh, maybe an odd topic to talk about with uh, uh, an elected official. You'd think we're going to talk about, you know, the Brett Kavanaugh nomination or, you know, what's going on at the state legislature. But um, I'll explain why here in a moment. But first, tell us, what, what district do you represent? Where is that? And what did you do before you got into politics? Um, okay, so I represent District 31. It's western Pulaski County, northern Saline County. And um, before politics, well, I'm an engineer, and it wasn't really before politics. It just became during politics because the rest of life continues uh, even after you get elected to the legislature and serve the people there. So um, engineer, got three kids, married for 19 years, from Little Rock originally, uh, grew up in, in my district. So it's a fun place to serve. Very good. And and I you know I think it's important to you know especially in Arkansas where you have a part time legislature talk to people about what their careers are um, you know Andy's somebody that I've observed at the Capitol with his background as a legislature I think as sorry as a, as an engineer approaches things with a really analytical point of view um, which is good by the way um, we have probably too many lawyers in politics and a few other professions probably could use a few more engineers. <laughs> Um, but Andy, I want to talk to you about financial literacy. You sponsored a bill last session that would have required um, financial literacy to be taught in all Arkansas high schools. Tell us a little bit about that bill, what happened with it, and why did you decide to do that? Well, you said would have would have required, but it did pass. I mean, this is law now in the state of Arkansas. Um, it was called an act to create the Personal Finance and Job Readiness Act. Um. The idea was, and it was not original to me, this has been tried before, uh, Representative Mayberry, uh, uh, Warwick Saban, Johnny Key had all taken a stab at this um, personal finance, financial literacy issue. Um, the, The idea is to just try to make sure that our young people, when they come out of high school, whether they're going to college or straight to the workforce, that they have a good foundation and understanding of the things that are going to be coming at them. Very good. So, so this bill, you said people had tried to run this bill before, and I, I'm, obviously it didn't pass because you had to run it. What did you do differently, or why did it not pass previously? You know, several of the trials were predate me, so I can't speak specifically to what had happened then. I filed the bill in um, the 2015 session and did not run it, and uh, kind of watched uh, Representative Saban at the time had. Uh, also filed a very similar bill so which happens frequently and so he and i looked and kind of compared and um i wasn't necessarily really prepared to run at that session but i kind of watched to see what the reaction was a lot of times as a legislator you may file a bill that makes it public and then you start getting input so i got input on it in 2015 and then uh intentionally selected the education committee in 2017 because i felt like that put me in a better position to try to run this particular bill 
Well, this is something that is, in my mind, is absolutely needed. I'm going to read you a couple of statistics and want to get your reaction. I pulled these statistics from Forbes. That's a pretty credible source on money matters, I would think. Yeah. Um, Forbes says that 44% of Americans don't have enough cash to cover a $400 emergency. Now, that could be a car breaking down, hot water heater going out. Um, you know, earlier this year, the air conditioning unit on my house went out. That was a $3,000 bill. 44% of Americans don't have enough cash on hand to cover a $400 emergency. They also said 38% of U.S. households have credit card debt, an average credit card debt of over $16,000 with an interest rate on average of over 16.5%. And then the third statistic here, this is really depressing, okay, especially when you consider the state of Social Security or, as it's known to some people, Social Insecurity. Mm-hmm. 33% of Americans have $0 saved for retirement, one out of every three. Yeah. What's your reaction to that? I mean, it's startling when you read through the uh, statistics like that. Um, you know, these aren't in those statistics, but, you know, one thing that I mentioned when I was running the bill is that we know that financial troubles are one of the biggest reasons people drop out of college. They're also one of the biggest reasons uh, why families divide. Uh, causes a divorce. There are also uh, employers will tell you it's a it's a problem in workforce because people want a job hop for a nickel an hour or something like that, and they don't really know how to calculate all the true cost and what in their actions. Um, I mean, those statistics are startling, and it's something that you know as a legislator, I just think I mean this isn't necessarily something you're going to hear about on CNN or Fox News tonight, but it's a real problem, and we need to do something to try to address it, and that's what we're trying to get to with this bill. Well, Andy, I would argue that it's a bigger problem than a lot of the things you're going to hear on Fox News or CNN tonight. Well, I agree. Because, you know, finances is one of the cornerstone areas of people's lives, and a lot of times parents are not uh, comfortable talking about their Mm kids, talking about it with their kids. Mm -hmm. Uh, a lot of times kids don't grow up in a stable household where parents are equipped to talk about finances. And so, you know, I, I'm not I'm not look, I'm a small government person. I'm not one of these people that says, oh, we need to mandate that uh, schools teach this and this and this all the time. But in this in this particular instance, I think that this is highly beneficial. I can tell you, I grew up in Tennessee. I uh, went to high school in Tennessee. Tennessee's one of the was one of the early states to require this. And uh, I had a high school teacher named Andy Allen who taught me economics, and half of the econ class was on personal finance. And, yeah. and you learn things like budgeting, saving, yeah. investing. You learn about compound interest. And I can tell you, when I got out of high school, when I got my first job, I was, I was starting to save money. I was starting to open a, an IRA. Um, I was doing things at, you know, 22, 23 years old that a lot of people don't even know about. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. And that's, you know, you asked earlier what – what were the hurdles to getting this passed sooner? And it was a lot of, you know, you kind of mentioned it was, uh, well, we don't want to mandate what we have to teach in schools, and we don't want to uh, mandate a schedule for this or that. And so really the key in getting this passed was that it doesn't actually create a new class. It just says you have to work these topics into your curriculum. Yeah. So it could be in a math class. It could be in a social studies class. It might be in multiple classes. But sometime in senior high, 10th, 11th, or 12th grade, our high school students have got to be taught these issues. Well, I think that's, uh, you know, I, I, I'm totally on board with this. I think back to my time in high school and some of the things that I learned. I mean, when I took, you know, yeah, I, I presume you got to take some kind of Arkansas history class in Arkansas. When I was in Tennessee, we had to take a semester mm-hmm. of Tennessee history. And I remember we spent, you know, 
countless hours, you know, memorizing silly facts like the state bird is the mockingbird and all this kind of stuff. I wish we had spent a little less time on the mockingbird, which I probably <laughs> could have picked up later in life, and a little more time on, you know, thing, things like the different kinds of mortgages and, yeah. and how to buy your first car, things yeah. that, that have more practical you, application. When you're on college campus, why don't I want that free T-shirt and the 17% interest rate credit card? You know? Right, because kids get bombarded with this kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah, um, They're a target. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we're going to go to a commercial break uh, real quickly. When we come back, we're going to have lots more on financial literacy with uh, State Representative Andy Davis. This is David Ray filling in for Dave Ellswick on The Dave Ellswick Show. Good afternoon, Central Arkansas. Welcome back to The Dave Ellswick Show. This is David Ray filling in for Dave Ellswick. We're in uh, the home stretch here. We're um, joined in the studio by State Representative Andy Davis. He represents uh, area parts of Little Rock, Pulaski County, and a little bit of Saline County. Um, and uh, Andy, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, so we're talking about the bill you sponsored last year to um, require high schools in Arkansas to teach financial literacy. Um, this bill passed, and uh, I understand it passed uh, on a fairly bipartisan basis. And um, what are some of the things that kids might learn as part of the bill being passed? What are the things that, that might get woven into the curriculum? Yeah, the bill has uh, – it's actually a fairly simple bill. If you go look it up, it's uh, Act uh, – shoot, I should have had it ready. It's House Bill 1442 from the 2017 session. It's a pretty simple bill, and it literally just has a list of things that, that should be taught, and it's everything from – Home ownership, debt management, identity fraud and theft. Uh, you know how to how to balance a checkbook, retirement planning, risk and return. Uh, those are all kind of on financial literacy. And there's also things on the uh, uh, job front we included. You know, we we heard a lot from employers that said we'd like for people to just know what to expect when they show up and apply for a job. So we've got uh, kids now are going to be taught how to understand their pay stub on their paycheck and. What's an I-9? What's a W-4? And, you know, when somebody comes in, they're like, well, how do I fill out this form? They're going to be taught those things in high school now. Yeah, these, these are some of the foundational concepts that are really practical for people. And it's so important because, like we said in the last segment, I mean, Forbes says that 44% of Americans don't have enough cash to cover a $400 emergency. Well, that's not because nobody's making any money. It's because people are living paycheck to paycheck. They're not right. budgeting. They're not they're, planning. They're not budgeting. Yeah, absolutely. And then you get to, you know, uh, the Forbes statistic that 33% of Americans have $0 saved for retirement. I mean, that's scary, isn't it? Yeah, yeah they, they, they've not thought through the risks of how they're living and how they're um, spending their money. Um, yeah, it's terrifying. I mean, when you consider the state of Social Security that is headed toward insolvency, the federal government has not shown any ability to restrain spending, the, so that doesn't bode well for the future of that program. You know, I for one don't want to don't want to you know subsist on Alpo in my golden years. I would rather try and take some steps now to right. prepare for that. Right. But so many kids don't learn that. Um, you know, I want to ask you. It's it's interesting. You know, from your vantage point now as as an adult with kids with an established career, um, having dug into this issue some. You know, what would what would uh, what would adult Andy Davis tell? the high school andy davis about financial literacy what would you what would you go back and tell him 
probably the concept that I would uh, go back and try to teach myself and that I, I think that we really need to try to help young people grasp better is the time value of money and the benefit to investing early. You know, my, my parents did a good job on financial literacy in our house. I mean, I can remember my dad taking me when I was 16 and opening up my first bank account, and he taught me how to balance a checkbook by hand and so on and so forth. But, um, you know, we didn't talk investing and retirement and things like that a whole lot. Um, I can't remember the exact numbers. I wish I'd have looked them up. But, you know, if you save like $2,000 a year from age 20 to 30, uh, when you're 60, you've got more money. If you keep all that money invested, you'll have more than you do if you put in $2,000 a year from 30 to 60. That's right. Because and, of the time value. And so I, time value is probably the concept that I would go back and try to teach myself. Well, and, you know, for folks who may be unfamiliar with that idea, just go to Google and type in time value of money calculator. There's a million tools out yeah, there right, that can right. show you how this works. And you, you do not have to be good at math to figure this out. The calculator will do it for you. But it really will open your eyes to, you know, if you just start investing now, you know, in some mutual funds or, or something that makes sense, um, doesn't have to be anything super aggressive. You know, no. it's not most of the best financial instruments are not super sophisticated. They're actually quite simple. Um, but you can see for yourself how um, compound interest works. I mean, Einstein called it the eighth wonder of the world. Right, right. Um, so – yeah, so that that's it, that's a that's a good that's a good answer. It's good advice, actually. You know, one of the things in politics that we hear so much these days is about wealth inequality. You hear this a lot from the left. People mm-hmm. concerned about the growing gap between the rich and the poor. Mm-hmm. Look, there, it's a complicated issue. Um, it, you know, me personally, I'm I'm more concerned with people's standard of living mm-hmm. and making sure that it's going up. I'm not really concerned about my standard of living compared to Mark Zuckerberg or Jay-Z. I just want my standard of living to be improving. But, <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> but, you know, by the same token, it, it is of concern. Um, and so uh, I think that financial literacy really plays into this um, because if you make poor decisions with money, like take on too much debt, take out payday loans, title loans, uh, buy, you know, spend a lot of money on lottery tickets, you stay poor. Or if, you are, if you're not poor, you'll become poor. Mm-hmm. But if you make smart decisions with money, if you save, if you live on a budget, if you invest, uh, if you live a thrifty lifestyle, you can increase your you, – you can improve your financial situation. Um, am I crazy to make that connection? No, I don't think so. And, it, you know, and it's not just, you know, if you don't do things, these things, you're going to stay poor, you're going to become poor. But it's also just, you know, if you're paycheck to paycheck, all the time from the time you graduate high school, you're never going to break that cycle. So you're going to go all the way through retirement, just paycheck to paycheck. And then your kids are probably going to come up behind you the exact same way. But this, you know, these financial literacy concepts, you know, knowledge is power, right? And of all the barriers that, that we have to increasing our standard of living for each individual, each individual, knowledge is the thing that can overcome all those barriers so this is just financial knowledge basic concepts that we need to teach people and it can literally change trajectory for people yeah it can change people's lives because as you mentioned in the last hour or in the last segment um you know a lack of uh, financial problems is the is one of the top causes of divorce in america um you know i mean it's a real societal problem um you know so um I feel like um, 
that this is something that is not discussed enough. Um, and wh- why do you think there's a stigma attached to talking about money, talking about finances a lot of times in the home? I think a lot of times the parents in the home just don't know. Um, and, you know, maybe you're having trouble with it or maybe, um, you know, it's just an uncomfortable conversation. Um, a lot of times it's just the culture we're in today is, you know, it's a microwave culture. We want things now, right? I mean, I can remember when I was graduating college and a few of my colleagues uh, went and bought brand new vehicles before we had actually graduated. You know, they're like, well, I know I'm going to get a job and I'm going to do this. And so I'm going to go get a six or seven year loan on a brand new vehicle when I've still got two months of school left. Look, I get it. You just worked real hard. You want to reward yourself. But have you done the calculation on what you could do with those monthly payments if you saved it, invested it, and drove? Maybe you go buy just a little bit better car than you have now, but you invest that money rather than making a payment over the next seven years for something that four years from now you're not going to want anymore. You're going to want another one. Yeah, that one decision can can literally yeah. change your yeah. change your future. Make a huge difference. And so I think a lot of times we don't talk about it just because one – People don't you know, feel confident. And, you know, and even even people that are successful, I mean, this is human nature. I mean, sometimes we don't make the right decision. We don't make the best decision, right? I mean, sometimes in our house I go, I know this would be better, but I really want X, so we're going to go this direction. And so sometimes we don't want to talk about it because we don't want to admit when we don't make the best decision. Sometimes we don't want to talk about it because we don't know what the right thing to do is. We don't have the knowledge. So hopefully now more people have that. Yeah, and well – Look, this is talk radio, um, so I imagine our, our key demographic right now is not high school-age people. But for adults who are listening, people who did not get this in high school, who may be living paycheck to paycheck, may have a lot of stress involving money, um, may have made a lot of poor financial decisions in the past or are in the midst of a poor financial decision. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's never too late to get the, the cart back on the tracks. I mean, what advice would you give to people? Do they need to – um, you know, what can they do to become more financially literate? Well, then look, I'm not a financial guru. I'm an engineer. so <laughs> You just solve problems. <laughs> I just saw a problem and, and thought, hey, let's try to address it. But, you know, so I'm speaking from experience because I'm a guy that's been to, you know, I have to stop periodically and go, wait, am I doing things right or do I need to reassess? And so I think the advice would be start now. Yeah. Because of that time value of money, the longer you wait, the more behind you are or the less benefit you're going to get from when you do start investing or saving or eliminating that unnecessary expense or that debt. Yeah. The best time to start is now. It's never too late to start. Um, You know, I tell people, you know, pick up – there's a million books on this topic. There's a million podcasts on this topic. Listen to the Dave Ramsey show. So I I got interested in this just because I wanted to know. I mean, I I never took a finance class in school. I just – you know, I see people – that are doing better than me, and I ask myself, what do they know that I don't know? And so go get a book and, and read it or go take a class or something. And it's not just a material discussion. I mean, you don't need to be financial literate, financially literate just so that you can own the nicest car or have the biggest house. I mean, you can do more things with money. You can give. You can improve people's That's right. lives. That's right. you, can, you can live their dream. That's right. Andy Davis, I appreciate you uh, joining us this uh, this half hour. Um, I think this book, or sorry, this this bill that you sponsored um, and became law is going to impact a lot of lives. It's going to help people. 
Uh, it's going to help people change their lives. And so I appreciate you doing it. Thank you for so. joining us. Thanks for having me on. I enjoyed it. All right. You've been listening to the Dave Ellswick Show this uh, this afternoon. Boy, we've covered a lot of things. I'm going to recap a couple of them. If you missed our segment with Brad Todd, uh, GOP ad maker at 2.30 about his new book, The Great Revolt, I highly recommend that. Go to Amazon.com. Check out that book buy it you will not regret reading it brad's one of the brilliant political minds in this country um we talked with uh nick horton from the foundation for government accountability check them out on the web they've got great information uh heard this afternoon from marcus richmond and andy davis two state representatives boy i enjoyed being here this afternoon russ thanks for having me on uh enjoyed it hope dave enjoys his vacation Good job, my friend i appreciate it thank you very much have a good evening Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flint with in-depth interviews archival footage and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines i just felt like i was drowning flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost available now watch it today go to salemnow.com salemnow.com